0: Welcome to the Future Strategist with James Miller. Today my guest is again Greg Cochran, and we're going to discuss Robert Pullman's book, Blueprint, How DNA Makes Us Who We Are. Welcome back, Greg.
1: Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm
0: doing fine. Thank you. So, Greg, what is the uh the book Blueprint? What would you say its basic thesis is?
1: Everything's heritable. Differences between people. I mean, and we're talking about differences in say your talents or your personality not what clothes you're wearing um they are primarily caused by genetic differences differences in dna in at least modern circumstances it might it could have been different in different places and times perhaps okay and the rest is caused
0: by how our parents raised us and our environment and our economic conditions
1: M- mostly not uh, the way your parents raised you doesn't explain much of the differences between people. It's as if they don't really have lasting effects. I mean, there are certain things they do. I mean, they might teach you a language. They might put certain ideas in your head, but they don't make you, uh, um, smarter or dumber generally. They don't see, they don't change your personality much.
0: So whether your parents read to you or not seems to not affect how smart you turned out to be?
1: No, but having the sort of parents who read to you does.
0: So how exactly does that work?
1: Well, they read partly because they like to read, and that's largely because of genetic influences, and you share those genetic influences, so you're fairly likely to like to read too. But it's not them reading to you that does it.
0: So... The kids who have parents who read to them a lot are probably smarter, but the causation is not parents reading to you make you smarter. It's parents have genes wanting to read to you causes you to be smarter. And also, I I would imagine that if you have the genes where you like to be read to. That,
1: that matters too. I mean, some of the things that determine, like, you know, whether a kid is, um, like, you know, kids, some kids like to cuddle. Some kids don't like to cuddle, and so you could say, "Well, gee, the parents cuddle that one kid all the time." The answer is, "Well, the other one fought you when you did it, so you quit." The one who liked it is where it happens more. So it's so some of the things that look like environment, even at early ages, are actually at least partly or significantly influenced by your own genetics, or you know, like the people you hang out with. You often have choices or you could say, like, the propensity to have somebody break a beer bottle over your head is not purely environmental. I mean, it may be that you're the sort of person who likes to go to that kind of bar.
0: So there's not really a sharp distinction, according to the book, between genes and environment, because your genes affect the environment
1: you're in. Well, I would say sometimes there is. I mean, what it means is some of the things we call environment are strongly influenced by your genetics. Now, some are not. For example, there was a lady in Alabama who was uh, napping, and a meteorite came through the roof and hit her on the leg back in 1957 or so. Mm-hmm. And I bet that the only way genetics influenced it was by how big she was and how large a target she was for a meteorite <laughs> falling from the sky. Uh, I don't think anything she did other than living in the basement mm-hmm. would have helped her. So some things are really are random. But a lot of things, particularly in social environments, are at least to some degree influenced by the choices we make, which determines, you know, what environments we end up in, you know, to an extent. I mean, there are exceptions to this. Like, suppose you're in a place where they're going to draft every single 18-year-old who isn't, 18-year-old male who isn't blind. You have a good chance of getting shot, and it may not be strongly, too strongly genetically influenced. But even then, you might be the sort of guy who's really curious and have to keep sticking his head up to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. But if you are, you're more likely to be shot. Or if you're, so,
0: you're good at math, they'll put you in the back shooting artillery, and you're probably more likely to
1: survive. In more recent wars, yes. Uh, uh, but but the point is, there are cases where there are more and less. The meteorite, I, I probably counted zero uh, genetic influence on being hit by a meteorite. Uh, whereas you know, in the army. Um, it's not all genetics. I mean if somebody says you're going to charge over that you know, towards the enemy now or I will shoot you you know, you're you know, it's not up to you or your genetics very much. Uh so it you know it varies. But you know, a lot of things that people think of as being exterior are partly influenced by your own genetics.
0: Okay. So from what I remember when I studied statistics a long time ago. That should give us causation problems, and that should say, okay, we're now far more uncertain over what's caused by the environment and what's caused by genes, because they're sort of commingled. But that doesn't seem to be what the book is saying. The book seems to be saying, no, no, this means environment is much less important than we thought.
1: Why? If you're talking pure environment, not hooked to genes, they're right. They have a lot of ways of teasing this out. You can look at adoption studies, where the kid you're raising is not particular, is not related to you any more than a random person in the population mm-hmm. and there are things that if environment was important there would be things in which merely adopting a kid would let's say make him more similar to you than the average of the population and mostly it doesn't
0: it mostly doesn't and also from what i've read right you get closer to your bio parents if you were adopted as you you age as you get you know approach like 25 well,
1: and, and you're always yeah that That's a general thing. There are two things going on. One is, in many respects, the adopted kid is more like his biological parents than he is adopt, his adoptive parents and The other thing which is interesting is this attend uh t- seems to become increasingly cru- true with time. It's more true in, by adulthood than it was as a child. Uh, again, part of it is this thought to be people have more chances to choose their own environments. probably a baby does not have much chance to choose what crowd he's going to hang out with. Uh, But, you know, if you're 25, you do. Uh, And again, this might depend upon the form of society. If you are in a society where everything was compulsory and you had very few choices, there might be fewer ways in which your genetics could influence those choices. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, today there are quite a few in most parts of the uh, developed world where most of these studies have been done. But the other thing is that these genetic influences generally increase with time. The heritability, the measure of how much genetics affects these things, increases with age.
0: Is that because uh, new genes turn on that didn't turn on when you were a baby, but they turn on when you
1: were 14? Is that? I would think some do. I mean, for example, let's say that uh, uh we're talking about the heritability in a woman of how large her breasts were. I mean, when she's a child… They're going to be small for every child. Mm -hmm. But after puberty, say after 14 or something, uh, then you'll see these differences which were sort of waiting to be expressed. The thing is there's many other things like that. Uh, I mean, you might have differences. You know, there's an adolescent growth spurt, but it happens more in some people than others. It's influenced by genetics. You might be the sort of person who has a longer adolescent growth spurt than some others. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You might end up taller because of that. Or you might end up always having, you know, you could also be taller because you were taller throughout your life. I mean, there can be, these things can be expressed at different times. Another thing is that, uh, genetics doesn't quit. Like if you have an outside influence, it's, suppose your parents were trying to make you into a piano player. Mm-hmm. Well, they'll give up eventually. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but your genetics, let's suppose your genetics was, you just don't like it. It's just, your nature is such you really don't like playing the piano that probably doesn't quit ah, so. so it 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 sticks in there indefinitely but uh what what this means is uh in a sense your you know you have sort of a, a a body a mind you know a phenotype you know an expression of your genes and you tend to converge on it to some ex- not perfectly but you get closer to what we would have predicted as you get older. Uh, for example, you would tend to get, you know, let's say your height was some, our predicted height was something like the average of your parents corrected uh, for regression to the mean.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, if they were, say, a lot higher, a lot taller, a lot shorter than average, uh, you t- would, uh, I mean, at least up to the point where it stopped growing. I think change largely stops then. You would tend to get more like them with time. Now, there's other things that don't like your height, let's say is fixed after you say you're 20 or something for most people. Um, but some other things can still change to some extent, like so. Uh, uh, perhaps your person the other thing is, you know, we're usually measuring, like this is implicit in what you're saying, we're all usually measuring the parents in adulthood. So, you know, what really comp- should be compared is you in adulthood, not you as a child. You know, things are expressed differently, then, even if you have the potential. To be a certain kind of adult. When you're 10, you're 10. You're not an adult. So not all the same things will be expressed in the same way. So uh, you know maybe what would be interesting in some of these things if we had measured your parents when they were 10 and compared how you are when you were 10. I wonder if heritability, you know, with everybody involved as a 10 year old would be higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but you know we'll, we'll call it completed, like when you're an adult and you're not changing so much. It makes sense that you. to the extent that you're influenced by genes, you're going to end up like the parental phenotype when you are of a similar uh, maturity. So this
0: is saying that your environment, it doesn't have a big effect, so our efforts to socially engineer better people are probably not going to be that effective. Well, how do you think they've worked so far? Well, society has gotten a lot better, and the traditional econ argument is better human capital.
1: Well, the thing is, Remember, they're talking about specific kinds of things. For example, a specific kind of knowledge can be valuable. Let's suppose you knew that, uh, oh, a certain, like, you should always wash your hands before you eat because you're less likely to get dysentery that way, something like that. Okay. You know, you knew a certain fact that was useful that would help your survival and your health and so forth. Now, suppose uh your parents knew it nobody else did and they told you, Um That would be a way in which they had influenced you you for the better. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, most facts like that are very widely available. What really determines whether people act on them is things like how likely they are to read, how likely they are to take what they read seriously, whether they're smart enough to understand it, whether they're self-disciplined enough to do it. And all those things have genetic influences. The availability of the knowledge does not vary that much. I mean... I mean, if you want to, you can learn almost anything you want to just by going down to a public library and checking out books on it, if you really want to, and some people do, uh, but uh, uh, it's, a lot of it depends upon the – you know, if things are very widely available, genetic factors or the – genetic differences are the differences that are still there. Now, I can think of times, you know, short times in which there was a particular kind of information that was available to some people and not to others. Uh, Bob Noyce was going to his Grinnell College in Iowa. And for some reason, Grinnell College was talking more about semiconductor physics than a lot of other colleges. And this was a good preparation to ending up working on transistors and things. And he actually was exposed to it more there than he would have if he'd gone to MIT that year. Mm -hmm. But just, you know, probably three or four years later, it was being taught at every decent school in the country. So, A lot of these differences that might matter, at least within a fairly developed society, they don't tend to last very long. The secret spreads. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, today, you would have to, you know, if there was an extremely cutting-edge thing uh, in physics, you might be, it might be that somebody was teaching it at Caltech, and they weren't teaching it at, uh, uh, let's say, uh, University of Wisconsin. But Truthfully, there's not much like that. And by the way, also, it might be the other way around, uh, uh, on any given subject. Uh, so the, the, the material taken in different places, if you were majoring in the same thing, is not very different today. Now, in a world where there were huge such differences, the environment might make more difference in how much you learn. Suppose there were some colleges that didn't believe in algebra. Mm-hmm. You know, that would make more, but they all do, sort of. I don't always believe in all the consequences of it because, after all, most of this stuff that Plowman is doing is basic st- – it's 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 not all basic statistics, but it's statistics and it's comprehensible. And there are still people who went to college who reject it largely because they don't like it.
0: Uh, yes. it. Yeah, you really wouldn't like it if you want to make people better, if you want to rearrange well, society.
1: I think that's particularly true if there's particular ways you want to make better and you're not interested in the others. Nothing Plumman says says you can't make people better. It says certain methods may not work. What, what do you mean by don't that? Work. Well, I mean, the typical method people like, uh, to talk about involves, well, suppose we, you know, let's say we have Teach for America. We have a bunch of teachers who are probably smarter than average and they went to, uh, 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 you know, schools that are considered to be very good and says they're going to take kids who are doing poorly and they'll make them do a lot better. Well, they don't make them do a lot better, but people say, but they ought to. But, for example, here's an example where we know an alternate way. Suppose there was an area of uh, somewhere in Central Asia where iodine was short and people were not yet supplementing it, and we sent teachers from Teach to America, and they were full of dedication and they were full of idealism. Would they be able, by their enthusiasm, and by the way they taught the classes to make up for the fact that these kids have serious problems from iodine shortages? No, it wouldn't help a bit. So you, you people want certain – people are sort of emotionally wedded to certain techniques. So you don't think teacher quality makes a big difference in life outcomes? Well, when people measure it, the answer is it doesn't. So, so and because of that, no, I don't think it. Now, some of this is – I am probably prejudiced by my own personality because I figured if the teacher doesn't teach to me, I'll learn it by myself. I'm not too worried about the teacher, Mm -hmm. but some people are. But I'm thinking they're probably mistaken because that's what statistical studies show.
0: So it's not that a student who's lazy gets inspired by a great teacher who then goes on and becomes a great student. That doesn't seem to happen?
1: If it happens, it doesn't happen enough to explain a whole lot of the total range of, of results we see. It could have, there could be things that happen but are rare. Uh, for example, later we're going to talk about how things like intelligence, things like personality are affected by typically, it's many, many genes of small effect affecting it. But there are a few cases where there's a particular gene that will really change your personality. Mm -hmm. But in, but, but those cases, that gene is also rare. So it ends up not being much of the explanation. Mm -hmm. Uh, like, or I could say this with height. There, generally, your height is affected by small effects from many genes, but there are a few cases, for example, Marfan syndrome, where there's a mutation that makes you all by itself 10 centimeters taller. Yeah. It doesn't happen very much because it also, see, it's not very common, and it stays not very common because you have health problems associated with it. People with Marfans, on average, don't live as long, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly in the past before we had methods of helping them, and so that kept it rare. And because it was rare, even though its effect is big, its total contribution to the height story is not very large. Uh, and so, uh, you know, are there teachers that you know really change you? I said perhaps there are, but there aren't very many of them, and not it's not a big part of the total story. Mm-hmm. And by the way, also perhaps there aren't. I would throw that as the other possibility. But uh, I mean, there's lots of things like that. Uh, I mean, some of them some of them are known to have effects, but the effects are small. Like I saw, I'm running from memory here, but something, if you had, you know, if you had teachers with IQs of 140, you could help a little bit, a measurable, but not large, but a real amount. Mm -hmm. But you can't actually have all teachers with IQs of 140 because there aren't that many people with IQs of 140 to fill all the teacher slots. There's only so many. They're only, you know, less than half a percent of the population. So there, you can't you can't fill all the slots with those people, and also the effects are not very large. Uh, another thing which was mentioned in the book, they said, how much does class size make a difference? Is it better to have small classes? The answer mm-hmm. is statistics are solid; it does help, but they're also solid saying, but it doesn't help very much. The effect mm-hmm. is, is, it says like we might change your test scores, you know, a hundredth of a standard deviation for the for the school mm-hmm. if we if we you know shrank the class size by a third or something.
0: Yeah, that was the theme of the book. Well, well, all, well, all the effects of genes are huge. The, the effects of by everything comparison. else. Yeah, the effects of everything on, on else are average, tiny. On average, on
1: average. And this is also in contemporary kind of pleasant and prosperous societies. If you had a society, uh, let's say it was France in 1720 and there's a famine. Mm-hmm. Well, suppose you're in the bottom um, 10% of society in terms of wealth. There's a pretty good chance you're going to starve to death. And that drops your IQ scores dramatically mm-hmm. if you're dead. Uh, now, today, nobody's starving except, you know, for psychological reasons like people with anorexia or something. The food, food is fairly abundant. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, poor people are on average heavier than richer people. The country, you know, it's a different situation. But this situation, by the way, even in France, people people's genetic endowments would... Affect how likely they were to end up in that in the in the group of people who don't have enough to eat. Some people have more on the ball, etc. But there are also a lot of kind of frozen in differences. Like suppose you were, you know, the son of a noble, and for some odd genetic reason you were dumb as a post. I'm not saying all. I will say assume nobles at least were average, and your father was not a particular idiot, but you are. Mm-hmm. You might say, well, you'll starve to death. And he says, well, probably not because you. You know the social was structure was more rigid, and you may have a fair amount of money, at least for a while. Yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, I also point out that there was always an ability to lose that money as long as there were women, horses, and liquor. <laughs> and in fact, there was a lot of turnover in aristocracy—not over a year, but over a generation or two—because people would do things like gamble away all their money, or they might do something else, like, "Well, I am an idealist, and I'm going to go fight." Uh, when I, I don't actually get paid much for it. Well, you may well be killed. Uh, mm. and, and that is probably, you know, reduces your genetics in the next generation. So the thing is, you know, there are societies where things are more structured, where less is, is up to you. You mm. choose your environment less. You make fewer choices, but it, you always make some. Uh, mm. uh, so, uh, you know, heredity influences things there too, but I would think less than today. There's an interesting example where we actually have numbers. I mean, most of this is the past. And it's sort of hard to do detailed statistical surveys of what happened in, you know, 1590. Mm-hmm. But for example, people looked at the heritability of I, of I, of, uh, what was it? Was it educa- ed- educational attainment in Estonia?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Homan talks about this in the book. And, it's, it's been a generation now since the, they escaped from uh, the Soviet Union and communism fell. It's higher than it was before.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because people are more going into education and getting a higher education based more on their abilities and their desires and less on, like, in, in, when Russia was running this show, an important part of it might be, like, would be some kind of politics would, would be more influential in how you got into school. Not all influential, but more. So, for example, if your, if your grandfathers were, um, shoemakers as opposed to nobles, that would actually increase your chance of getting into college in some situations. You know, your class origins <laughs> could be important. Uh, and in fact, um, uh, they, uh, and then that stopped. And when it stopped, uh, uh, genetics, had a bigger voice, uh, and and they've measured that. Uh, and in fact, the other thing, which is also controversial, I mean, essentially everything Plowman says is controversial. But he's a very mild-mannered person. Uh, but for example, you know, in a world where suppose you had no special preferences for uh, how to get into college, they didn't care about your social origin; they cared only about your test scores. And let's also suppose college is free, so it doesn't have anything to do with money. Mm-hmm. Okay, if your parents were, say, engineers instead of, of let's say, shoemakers, on average, you're more likely to get in. Even if it has nothing to do with money, nothing to do with anything, They, only that you were adopted in both cases. So, you know, it's all the only influences are genetic. Mm-hmm. Why? Because the average engineer is somewhat smarter than the average shoemaker because you, he needs to be to mm-hmm. do his more complex job, and that is inherited to some extent
0: yeah that's weird the the more meritocratic the society the more important
1: genetics will be well apparently also the more we will deny that it is more important yeah. uh for example i know a few years back they started a new school a new uh, elementary school in albuquerque mm-hmm. and it was a new subdivision and it was probably the most expensive subdivision in the in the in the city it was infested with doctors and lawyers mm-hmm. uh, and uh and then when the school started, they said, wow, these kids are doing very well. <laughs> Clearly, we have unusually good teachers. <laughs> but, you know, the Plowman's lesson is the teachers had almost nothing to do with it. And the fact, it's not the fact that the parents were lawyers and read, you know, read interesting cases to the kids or, or John Grisham novels or something. Well, that's not it. They were somewhat smarter than average. And that means that their kids are as well. And that's why they did well. I mean, uh in the school, it wasn't because they had better teachers. Uh no, They teach falsehoods on this
0: in education. No, but be- before we get to that, though, what's the yes. genetic evidence for that, that it really is genes and not just the, the better educated parents provide a better environment? You, so we mentioned like adoption studies, but what adoption else Adoption
1: studies show that. Uh, twin studies show that, you know, like, you know, if your twins are, you're more similar to a twin – even though you're, even if you're raised in the same house, your environments are not like super similar because you're twins, but you're genetically more similar. Your, mm-hmm. your chance of going to college is more similar if you're, ident- if you're genetically identical than if you are, for example, fraternal twins who are not genetically identical. But at this point, we also, and I'm jumping ahead, but since they have measured, they have discovered a number of variants that affect educational attainment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I had a study just recently where they looked at a million people which is statistically necessary to find these many genes of many different genetic differences, that each have small effects, they can lump all of them together to what they call a polygenic risk score. Mm -hmm. And, for example, if you were in the top fifth of the polygenic risk scores on this, Mm -hmm. on educational attainment, your chance of completing college was 55%. If you were in the bottom fifth, it was 10% and this I mean, we're looking this, only at the genes knowing nothing else about you
0: so we just we just look at your dna we're not looking at your parents social class or right. where they went to school or, or anything and we still can predict quite a bit about your educational attainment not
1: everything i mean but but uh, but a fair amount it's more powerful as you start to get a really strong signal mm-hmm. it's you know like Manish and another guy they were looking at his height genes you know and there are many height genes influence you although not as many as with iq but there are many mm-hmm. and they they showed that his, his uh, polygenic risk score for height, a particular guy they were interested in. It was 4.6 standard deviations above average,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: he's also the third tallest guy in the NBA, seven, six.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he did it honestly. By the way, there is another way to get to be super tall, and that's to have something really screwy with one particular gene. Like I mentioned, uh, uh, Marfan syndrome can make you taller with just one gene, but mm-hmm. that is a rare thing. And it only is starting to show up when you start talking about people who are ridiculously tall or are a more common thing for the, like the tallest of all human beings. They tend to have, uh, problems that involve caused a pituitary tumor. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's g- genetic propensity to those pituitary tumors. And, and, you know, that's part of that story. And those people can break eight feet, although they have all sorts of health problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, which is again why it doesn't become common. Uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, the things we typically think make a difference, which is, you know, reading to your kid, mm-hmm. uh homeschooling, and I, look, we homeschooled our kids through eighth grade, and I never actually thought it would make a whole lot of difference one way or the other, other than we were pretty sure that nobody would be allowed to beat you up uh, in that situation. I, at least my motive, was as much as anything, I liked having them around, which is mm-hmm. probably because I'm weird. The uh But they weren't teenagers yet, though, right, so... No, oh, that explains it. I
0: think. Sorry, <laughs> Sorry just joking. But <laughs> uh,
1: well, I, let me guess. Oh, uh, well, yeah, mine are just starting college. Yours but, is getting ready for is he in high school now, or I'm just uh, about.
0: a uh, thirteen. So we were entering the teenage.
1: Okay. Age. I, I, I Sorry, I just, just I mean, get,
0: you'll never listen to it, but if you ever do, I,
1: I've been. <laughs> I remember. Any anyway, rate, uh, so uh, yeah, there are many, but but you know, again, this means on average, their genetic differences. Not in everything, but in, in genes that affect traits that sort of, like, there are genetic differences between classes and between professions in genes that affect your propensity to be able to get in and succeed at those, you know, to, to succeed enough to be a member of the upper middle class or to succeed enough, uh, at a particular job to be, to make that your profession. Uh, so the average doctor may have an IQ as, over 120. So, Under 130. So, do you see the movie Gattaca? I have heard of it. I've never really seen it. So, I, but I kind of know what happens. So, th-
0: that's where, instead of a job interview, they give you a DNA test. And that's...
2: And our had, hero cheats, right?
0: Yes, it cheats, because, of course, it's not real, but... You know, if, if we had a much better understanding of DNA, maybe what we'd know in 10
1: years that actually could work out. Well, if, particularly if you're using it to replace job interviews because job interviews statistically appear to be almost the weakest thing anybody ever used to pick somebody for a job. They're really poor. Mm. Uh, in fact, already it wouldn't surprise me if a, if a genetics uh, information might be better than a job interview because job interviews suck as a predictive ability. They're almost worthless.
0: And it's not, uh, according to this book, it's not just intelligence. It's all traits. Are suspected to have significant genetic components. Some,
1: some, uh, well, he really is talking about psychological traits. That's where his interest is. But and actually, he mentioned certain things where it's not very. For example, he mentioned that breast cancer is not terribly hereditary, which is to say there are certain cases where it is. I mean, there are certain risk genes, mutations. Uh, that are, for example, common in certain s- small populations. Uh, mutations of BRCA1 and BRCA2 are both common in Ashkenazi Jews and that increases their breast cancer risk. But they're not common overall in the world and it mentioned, he mentioned that a woman who has breast cancer, that means that the chance of her twin, her identical twin having breast cancer is higher than it would have been, but only it's only up to 15%. Hmm. So these things vary. Now, a, a rough general thing, you know, they're talking about psychological traits, says, yeah, they're usually in the ballpark of fifty percent heritable, but some are more and some are less. But you know, that's like if you ask a trait and you never measured it, that'd be your first guess. Okay. Uh but for example, uh IQ is more heritable than most. In adulthood it might get up to um you know, eighty percent heritability. Now the book
0: I was confused by this because it also gave a number of forty percent at one point.
1: They're talking about how similar you are to one parent, but heritability looks at both parents. Okay that's what that is you know and he does straighten that out somewhere i mean he he said it in a way that was not it was not wrong but it wasn't as clear as it possibly could have been uh but yeah i mean so you're talking about similarity to one parent you know okay. you might say but there and also we're talking about heritability in a you know in adulthood so wait when you say that's 80% the, what exactly does that 80% of the mean? variation the variation you've seen between people, and let's be exact as I can, we're talking about guys in Scandinavia who were probably <laughs> born in the 1940s or something, okay. or 30s, when this was done, that the the amount of the variance in IQ scores between the people that we're looking at, and again, these are pretty uniform countries socially, mm-hmm. too, perhaps more than, than we are, uh, or at least they were then, mm-hmm. uh, The uh, that 80% of the variance, and I'm... I could be wrong. It might be 78 or 82. It's, it's a number close to that in IQ is uh, from genetic effects. That's about as high as it ever gets. Uh, height is another thing with similarly high heritability. Mm-hmm. But, again, suppose there's something that happened, like southern Sweden had been occupied by the Germans in, for 10 years, and they stole all the food, and everybody in Sweden who survived had been starved. They might be five inches shorter. So you'd start saying, in that situation, a very significant difference. Why is it the southern Swedes are so much shorter than the northern Swedes? It says it's an environmental effect that they got starved. You know, height is something that can change quite a bit with uh, availability of food. That's mm-hmm. one reason people over the years have been getting taller and taller. You know, people in the Civil War in America probably averaged five six or seven, mm-hmm. and today it's more like five ten mm-hmm. or five nine and a half. Mm-hmm. So, uh,
0: but let go back. I mean, eighty—that's amazing. That eighty percent of the variance of human intelligence, or at least of the study in Scandinavia, eighty percent is
1: genetic. That doesn't leave a lot of room. Well, in those cases, for, no. But there always is. But again, it depends. Again, what if I had a disease that ran through, and to some extent, it's random whether you get exposed to it, and it could hurt your brain sometimes. Then that heritability is always statistic that applies to a certain situation. On the other hand, it may be not incredibly different in a lot of moderately different situations. Like if I look, would I expect to see a wildly different number in Norway? And the answer is probably not. Okay. Uh uh On the other hand, it could be different. I mean, for example, Norway really was occupied by the Germans for a few years, although I don't believe they had a starvation problem during that period, but, you know, they could have. Uh so uh uh I mean like some people say, well since these things you know, heritability is a statement for a particular, uh, a particular situation. You can't extrapolate it to anything else. I said, well, I can tell you if you do, you would seldom be wrong. Mm-hmm. In principle, it could be different. In practice, it isn't very often. But again, you don't really know. I mean, in the next situation, it might be. I mean, you want to keep an open mind. But the idea that it means nothing in the next situation, well, that's probably, we've never seen that happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as I said, you know, strong environmental, you know, we've worked hard to get rid of some of the strong environmental variations. We worked hard to make sure that, you know, I was mentioning a disease that can hurt your brain. Meningitis can hurt your brain. We give, we, we we try to prevent it. We do pretty well. There aren't many cases. But there are areas south of the Sahara, and this has something to do with the climate, where certain kinds of, occasionally they'll have a fair-sized meningitis uh, epidemic, and you can end up profoundly retarded from meningitis. Mm-hmm. And you know I don't know if it's enough, to, you know, if it only happens to one percent of the kids, that's way more than it is here. But it wouldn't explain much of the variation of intelligence in Chad. Mm-hmm. But you know, if it was ten percent, it would start to. You know, it it depends. Uh, and 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 you want to be careful. Like like suppose I said, were genetic effects important in in explaining differences in intelligence in Sweden in 1600? I would say almost certainly yes, but they weren't as much of the variance as they are today so how do Uh, we how do we know
0: there aren't things today that are having a big effect such as how much video games kids watch
1: people have looked and it doesn't seem to do anything at all people have actually done studies of that exact thing and it probably doesn't have any effect i know it feels like it does (laughs) i i know exactly what you're thinking (laughs) but uh although there are different like some of it is what you value and what you're thinking it should matter for example uh, suppose I said it doesn't have much effect on your personality and it doesn't affect much, uh, your intelligence later in life. But it might affect, like, suppose you had a retentive memory and you could retain a lot of facts if you were exposed to them. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, the average person doesn't remember all that much of school. Right. J- j- like, like if you ask people questions, about their high school chemistry, mostly they don't seem to, re- if they haven't used it steadily, they don't seem to remember it very much, which, you know, this is the sort of thing Brian Kaplan was talking about. Uh, that's all true. But let's suppose you had a retentive memory, and it w- and you did, and and we had reason to think you might end up in one of those strange occupations where knowing something was useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I could imagine that if a kid was, was reading um, a certain kind of book, he might learn certain facts that would be useful in the future. And he they would stick with him and he would learn more of those facts if he was not spending eight hours a day playing computer games. Mm -hmm. I could believe that. Uh but I think that, you know, when when they talk about similar, they're not so talking about similar so much in terms of the facts you've accumulated or the things you know. It's more your personality and your talents as opposed to your knowledge. Obviously, knowledge, knowledge has changed tremendously in the past 100 or 200 years. You can know all sorts of things today that nobody knew in 1700. But people's nature, people, you know, what, you know, do you like candy? Do you like pretty girls? Do you like playing darts? Well, or, what about, oh,
0: I mean, Stephen Pinker would say then, well, do you like to watch cats being tortured? And most people now would say no, and most people like that, would course, say yes. Of
1: course they <laughs> like safe
0: uh,
1: Well, Stephen, if Pinker said they really don't like it, He's prob- they probably like it just about as much as they ever do. I mean, to the extent that said, do you like it enough to be shunned for doing it? That's a different question. Okay. Or I mean, like, they used to have all sorts of cruelty sports. Right. Uh, the Romans did in the arena. Uh, people did bear baiting. You know, people would all... Thousands of people would come to watch a hanging. Mm-hmm. Now today they don't do that. They watch action movies where the bad guy's brains are splattered all over. They don't, they don't have any enjoyment in seeing human suffering. Not even of people they don't like. That's why, you know, they don't make movies like that. Yeah. Michael Bay, Michael Bay is a homeless person. <laughs> okay. But, uh, and, uh, uh, but there are things people will do when, when they don't get a lot of negative feedback about it that you probably wouldn't like. Uh, by the way, not everybody does. And not everybody liked to participate in bear baiting. Not everybody liked bare-knuckle boxing, but a lot of people did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do I think people's nature have changed? I said, the only way I would expect people's nature have changed, since I know that nurture doesn't change it very much, is that um, um, if there's... You know, like suppose people who really liked certain kinds of violence had been very much disproportionately have low fertility. Like we killed them. Yeah. That would probably do it. Uh, uh, could this over a long period of time change human nature? Sure. Has it happened? I don't know. But we probably will know pretty soon. One of the interesting things about all this stuff is we start to find these genetic markers. And by the way, we've had, we are much more advanced with educational attainment than we are with, let's say, uh, say some, I don't think we've done any particular mm-hmm. studies for that. We could, mm-hmm. but I don't think we have yet. Uh, but, for example, suppose I knew a thousand genetic markers that affected how much you enjoyed other people's or other creatures' suffering. How much you enjoyed it or were repelled by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would predictably be fairly heritable, because most things are. Uh, and we could look at uh, ancient DNA from somebody in 1500 or 1800 and see if it's been changing, or maybe 10,000 BC and see if it's mm-hmm. been changing. I don't know. Uh um, Could it vary regionally? Sure. But people say, well, that couldn't be. I said, yeah, it couldn't be in the same sense that it couldn't be heritable and it couldn't vary over time, but it can be all of those things. Like We know that if you look at the religions of Central America
2: mm-hmm.
1: under the American Indians, pre-Columbian days, I would say they're pretty close to the bloodiest that have ever existed lots of human sacrifice, and lots of torture. Again, no, those are unknown other places, but they're really common here. Mm-hmm. I mean, even to the point where kings of the Mayans would torture themselves in public just to show how cool they were. Uh, things like sticking a cactus spine through their penis, which, by I, the way, is a way, if we mm-hmm. adopted this, it's a way to keep the riffraff out of politics, let me tell you. I bet they uh, were faking it. I mean,
0: if you're the king, you're... You're going to find someone who's going to tell you just this is how it would look. They had like early magicians faking.
1: Well, I don't think they were – I'm pretty sure the Aztecs weren't faking the part where they cut people's heart out. No, no, but Uh, the
0: kings do it to themselves. I I would just bet that –
2: Well, you know, you'd think
1: that. You know, if you were right, I'd feel happier about the human race if I knew that the craziest people were faking it. But I'm not always sure. Uh, And I I think it may be a mix. I bet you some of the time they did it. and they something people stuff. are watching yeah. This is in public i mean I don't think ledger domain was advanced then you know they this these guys weren't david copperfield uh uh who is by the way is particularly unlikely to do this from what I hear the uh he has other uses At any rate the uh uh you might be right, I mean, I would be willing to listen see that's an economist talking, and you're not always wrong Thank um, you for that. but uh the thing is. I would hell, I'd fake it. I wouldn't want to do that. But people are strict. I mean, like you can think of people who uh, did things like uh, uh, whip themselves and stuff, or like, like, like here's a very serious thing and it has serious consequences, and it's voluntary. You wouldn't think anybody would do it. Anorexia, but they are doing it. They really are skinny. They're they're not faking being. You know, having lots of fat hidden somewhere deep within their skinny little body, they right. are really skinny, and to the point where their health is greatly endangered in some cases. So people, can't, you know, people who otherwise seem kind of normal. Yeah. But but in this case, I don't think it was that because I don't think they picked people. I mean, it, it, it was dynastic. You know, right. you were picked because you were the son of the previous king, generally. Uh So I don't think they selected people for being masochists. Uh. But right, you know, people, probably. The
0: opposite. I mean, the people who got to be king probably passed on genes for being very self-interested and ruthless. And very...
1: Well, like there was a time in which the upper classes in China bound the feet of their daughters to the point where they broke the bones and they couldn't walk normally. Yeah. And this was very widespread. It was – I think it was very rarely fake. That They really were that way. So it's possible to have a very painful and completely stupid thing done. And not because somebody else is holding you down and making – well, I mean, by the way, there was somebody else holding you down in some cases, but it was your mother. Mm-hmm. And so it is possible to have widespread, painful, stupid things happen that are not being faked. Yeah. Now, that one I'm sure because you could see what shape the feet were. There no, wasn't I, any question
0: about it. I agree, but I think it was possible to fake it if the like, the king can fake it. The king
1: is going. If there was a way to investigate it, I would not consider that a waste of time. If you were trying to prove that the Chinese women faked having their feet broken, no, I no. would say that to be no, there's I, no chance. But, yes, but but let's get back to yes. uh, all 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 the uh, uh, you know the things that this suggests. Again, like one of the things he was talking about in the book was. You know, there are exclusive schools and there are non-exclusive schools. He's largely right. talking about England. He right. was, grew up in Chicago, but he spent most of his professional care- career in in uh, England. And he talks about, you know, there are examination schools that are state-supported, but that uh, you have to score high enough to get into. There are also lots of private schools, some of which you have to, are also exclusive, some of which are probably, you know, rich, dumb kid schools, I would think. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, But uh, anyhow, the point is, the graduates of those exclusive schools on the whole do better in life they achieve more they're more likely and the question was is it the school doing something or or is it the fact that it only took in the better people in the first place or is it some combination mm-hmm. all right and the answer is it appears to be entirely the selection process
0: well, how do they know that
1: well they you know they're doing twin studies they're doing studies of you know like they know uh, how much, you know, like like the people who are going to the exam schools averaged like a full GCSE level higher. But that's going in. The question is how do they do going out? The point is they're going about the same going out. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, like suppose you had a school that could take kids in the top 2% and it would turn them into kids in the top one-tenth of a percent. In other words, it raised their IQ from 132 to 148 functionally. And right. then it stayed that way for the rest of their life. Now, I don't know if anybody would go to that school. I mean, I would send my kids there. It sounds (laughs) exciting. As long as it doesn't, you know, make you scream for the rest of your life. But, uh, most people don't seem super, super interested in it. I mean, most people are more interested in Harvard than Caltech. Okay? And, you know, if there was a school that poured more into you, Harvard wouldn't be it. It would be Caltech. Right? So why is it everybody wants to go to Caltech instead of Harvard? Well, says I know people who'd rather go to Caltech than Harvard, but I know my acquaintances are not representative. Most people – or like suppose you have a high school and they said, we need money. We have to get you to, be- to uh pay for the bond issue. Do they threaten to cut calculus or football? Yeah. They threaten to cut football because more people care about it. Now mind you, I could if we really worked at it, and we found exactly the right suburb, absolutely chock full of academics and engineers, maybe then we could threaten it. But I've never seen it. Uh, uh, but the um, anyhow, it looks, and people have seen things like this in the past. Uh, um, for example, I, I saw a study, and this was a bunch of pretty bright kids. They were national merit finalists. Mm-hmm. And they would trace where they went to school and they say, to what extent does the school attended predict your GRE scores later? You know, it, it's an attempt to see how much is the school giving you as opposed to much how much you just had in the first place.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the answer was it didn't give you anything. I mean, if you try to make a predictive equation, school attended did not contribute.
0: Now, that's consistent with like we don't know how to raise people's intelligence. Well, but- we
1: do know how to lower it. Yes,
0: with a hammer on the head to
1: the head. (laughs) There are probably drugs that would do it too, Uh, but uh, but we don't. Uh, uh, There are other
0: things that determine life success besides intelligence. Could it be that going to an elite school improves your diligence? It improves your social network, so it's still worth doing if you can get in.
1: I certainly don't believe it improves your diligence from all I've ever read of the Ivy League or, for that matter, Cambridge and Oxford. But uh, it could. I mean, if there was enough – you know, the word isn't nepotism, but you know, helping friends, helping each other, mm-hmm. connections, etc. But it's it's like nepotism, only it's non-genetic. Uh uh, it could. I don't think it actually does very much though. Uh it uh like Pullman, his estimate was that it doesn't have any effect.
0: And that he's looking at the genes, right? So he really is taking the Well he can do the, he,
1: everything. In the very recent stuff, yes, but before, you could there were other ways you could you could look at the parents. And see how much it was related to the abilities of the parents, and how much it was the school attended. The schools don't really seem to make a difference. Again, within a certain range. If you had a school where uh, there was no roof, and it was in North Dakota, and there were no books, it would be bad. One thing, you'd freeze to death. Well, unless uh, the
0: theory of cold thermogenesis is right, but that's another issue.
1: There, there are limits. Otherwise, units. you know, I, I I know of times when they did freeze to death. Okay. Well, uh, this is like in eighteen eighty or something. It's or you should read Little House on the Prairie, where they only came close to freezing to death. It's a cold place. But um what was I trying to remember? Um like I said, within the range we see today, uh now by the way, I have heard and I would like to see this uh checked. And maybe you can't because it's in the past. But for example, black schools in the South used to be seriously Neglected compared to white schools. By the way, all schools were somewhat neglected compared to other parts of the country. The total amount of, you know, the school year was shorter, the amount of money spent. You know, on average, Southerners believed less in education altogether, but they believed even less in it for blacks. Right, right. And that changed with the civil rights laws and so forth. Mm -hmm. And the spending became more equal. The results did not become equal, but they became closer.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, so it used to be blacks were and this is operating from memory, from a conversation with Henry Harpending. Uh-huh. If you were talking fifties, blacks might average as much as seven years behind on academic achievement uh-huh. at the end of high school compared to whites. And after this, it, it narrowed down to more like three or four, where it so, still is. Okay, so it still it did have a huge difference.
0: What would you say to parents who like like my kid is about to be entering high school, and of course there's this huge game you have to play if you want your kid to go to an elite school? Just to say, you know what? Why do you care? Yeah, well, just to say, have fun in high school. Don't worry about getting an elite college. Is that would you give that advice to parents? I'm
1: kid, not sure that having fun in high school makes enormous difference. Uh, I mean, look like, um,
0: to get into if you want. To, if your kid has a chance of getting into Harvard, and you say your kid is about to enter high school, and you you know you realistically you understand your your kid's intelligence and how well your kid do, you say yeah. If you do everything right, you have a chance of getting into Harvard. You, you'd definitely get into some college, pretty much no matter what. Is it worth it? Do you want to push your kid to say, "Yeah, do the extracurricular, do the community service, study really hard for the SATs to max out on them"? Is that is it worth
1: it for life outcomes? Give your kidney to a poor person. The uh, that would actually work, by the way. Unless instead mm-hmm. of you know, I helped build new porta potties in Nicaragua over the summer. Uh, let me think. Well, there's two questions. One is, what is the price? And what do you get for it? Again, yeah. you know, let's think like an economist. Good. The price is you probably will have less fun. Definitely. I mean, like at least some people. The way they do it. I mean, let, let's go to the extremes. There are people who whose kids end up spending a thousand hours in SAT preparation courses. Mm-hmm. That's probably not as much fun as some other things. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing. Uh I never spent a thousand. uh but did you? By the way, when you took your SAT in high school, did you do a lot of prep for it?
0: Um. I think I did. I took it once. I didn't do that well.
1: And then I took it again. I think I did probably Well, I can tell you the exact amount of prep I did. What was it? Zero. Uh, No, I mean, part of this, this is a self-reinforcing thing. You know, there was a time in which people preparing for the Olympics didn't spend, you know, 340 days a year preparing for the five years before. They just went out and took a stab at it. Yeah. And then some people worked harder, and then other people had to work harder to compete with them until now it's only... Tremendously gifted fanatics can win.
0: Right, right. You
1: have to have both talent and enormous amounts of investment and cheat uh, mm. uh, with drugs. Right. So uh, these things can change. Uh, at least and part of this may have been the small town I grew up with, but nobody was that excited about it. Mm-hmm. I don't remember anybody ever even talking about it. Uh, uh, well, now kids even get tutors for their regular classes. I mean. Well, that was never unknown. But I would say one of the stronger parts of it was cases where you had somebody who was rich, i.e., could afford a tutor, and his kid, for various reasons, they said, Look, we'd like you to at least graduate. I mean, this is embarrassing. I mean, there were colleges just for the dumb.
2: Yeah.
1: You ever heard of Parsons College in Iowa, sometimes known as Flunk Out You? I mean, I don't know if it still is, but it was no. back then. There were people who said, In our social circle, you're kind of expected to graduate from college, but you're not very smart. Yeah. Uh, so, we're, and, and, there were also other reasons, like you know sometimes we just think, uh, well, you know, you're so talented that, you know, they won't even you know, like you're Pascal or something. You're so talented that, you know, and I'm rich, we'll get you a tutor. Okay, you know, that's that's a reason. Or you're so sick that we want to keep you from being exposed to all the kids. You might catch something. You know, that was less crazy back then. Today we can probably hack it, but there really were people who said, you know, kid, your health is not good. We don't want you catching Going through, you know, we we were f- we're afraid for you. Yeah. That would that would be less crazy in 1700, or it could be we're afraid we think you're kind of a monster and we're afraid that you'll get into trouble if you're around other people. And that's <laughs> been, you know, you know, uh, li- little Marquis de Sade or something like that. Uh, so there have been a variety of reasons, or sometimes it's, you might say we want a very specialized curriculum. We're teaching you to be the king. Yeah. We'll hire Aristotle. Well, that's as we did for Alexander the Great. Right, right. So you know, there could be different reasons. But it isn't as common today, partly because, although it's becoming more common again, let's say when I was a kid, it was less common because there was greater income equality. Today, it's probably more common because there's less. Mm. It's easier to hire human help if there's a lot of income inequality. And there's a lot of PhDs who don't have nice tenured jobs. So. Well, there's that, but there's that's also a good thing
2: for us to do. The,
1: the very top fraction of income uh, is. Has a lot more of the wealth than it did in 1970. Yeah, lots more. Uh Or the average guy who's the CEO of a big company is making the, dip, you know, in terms of multiple of his average worker's salary, it's in, in 1980 that multiple was 20. Last I heard, it was 384. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, the rich are doing a lot. The super rich, particularly, you know, a mere doctor. It's not doing that much better than 1980. We're not talking really about the top one percent. We're talking about the top tenth of a percent and smaller. That's where the majority of gains have gone for some time. Um, and by the way, it shows up in funny places. Like you'll see all these articles in places like New York Times about there's a crisis somewhere because some sort of employer is saying, "God, we're having trouble having help. We might have to give people a raise." Yeah. And they thought, "Oh God, you know this is nearly as bad as the Great Depression." And and I can tell you. I remember a time in which the average worker, you know, his sympathy—I mean, the average reporter, his sympathies showed—and he would have liked the situation in which people were getting raises. Yes, well, yeah.
0: You know, although uh, I mean, so, a lot of the gain though was going to stockholders, and that stocks are widely
1: owned in the United States. So, well, there's also big drops in the effective uh, tax rates in upper brackets. Mm. But Eight, yes, but but sorry, but, points. but back to
0: the but back to my question though. So, would yes. you? Do do you think it's accept reasonable for parents yeah, well, of kids the to is,
1: drop uh, out? I of mean,
0: if they were talking,
1: games? will he know more stuff? You know, will he know? Will he be better at quantum mechanics? The answer is pretty much no. There's no point. You know, in terms of acquired and retained knowledge, I don't think there's much difference. Mm-hmm. Now he said, now could the prestige of a Harvard degree? I said, well, I don't know how strong it is. It isn't as strong as people at Harvard think, as they find out occasionally, but mm-hmm. it may exist. You know, it may be non-zero and significant and the extent of connections. I said, maybe. Uh, I mean, for example, uh, who was, you know, uh, Bill Gates went to Harvard for a while and that's where he met Balmer, mm-hmm. who was unfortunately, you know, basically incompetent, but th- that's another story. And at any rate, but yeah, may, maybe it's worth it. I doubt it, but it's, it's not, but, the, but there's a second question again related to what Kaplan said previously. about the, Is it, Something that helps the country or is it helps you versus other people? Is it positional? Right, right. Now, in terms of real gains, are you more likely at the end of this to, you know, invent something great or write something important? Probably not. I don't think they give you anything that, you know, that lets, gives you more abilities, uh, or zero or close to zero. But on the other hand, you know, in the rat race, does it get you ahead of somebody else, even if it's not really useful? Maybe. Okay. although economists you know, are probably the guys to talk to in this, and I've seen people go both ways on it. I mean, what was that Kruger study? There was one at one point that claimed that they compared people who admitted to Harvard and didn't go with people who did as a way of zeroing out most of the differences.
0: Yeah, that's still high right because I'm sure, as you know, there will be very different types of people.
1: They could be, but there's, there's also saying it's as close as I can get. Right. That's, uh, so
0: I really. We really do need DNA to answer this question.
1: Well, you know, and actually, and you probably will be hearing more about it soon, but I'd say it's not clear. I mean, like, it's clear, like, employment in, in stuff about exclusive, and he's talking more about our high school level, mostly, but also about colleges. He doesn't think it makes much difference in the long run. And And you would think if there were places where connections mattered, England would be that place. Yeah. I mean... You know if they don't have a stronger class structure in the United States, it's not for lack of trying mm-hmm. but although, he doesn't think there's much evidence of it
0: although you can argue maybe that the smaller the country, the less important it is because you'll meet the person anyway you know yeah, but
1: talented. when you're up to when you're up to fifty six million i mean mm. i mean, i mean i don't I don't know half of those people <laughs> uh, and I don't think anybody else does either uh it but could if,
0: be if there's one city that you know all the very talented people go to and Meet, then
1: it's easier it's to network. Yeah. Yeah. Although, you know, I've always thought there'd be an advantage just, I mean, particularly if you wanted to do, some, do st- something new and different, sometimes it's better if you never talk to them at all, mm. uh, because you're freer to think your own thoughts. Uh, uh, I always thought that was one of Barry Marshall's advantage when he was finding out the cause of ulcers. Like, he has said in so many words, one of my big advantages is I didn't go to Harvard, because mm-hmm. if I had, I would know. That stress causes ulcers because I would have been taught it by Harvard professors. Do you, Do you think though that this, this kind of work that Pullman is talking about is a threat
0: to Harvard that we might get to a Gattaca world where companies like people, Google people
1: Harvard. start looking at more real things? Yeah, or well, well Google's like you look at your hope. DNA. I can only hope. Uh, uh, under some situations, it might be. I don't know if it actually will be. I mean, like, let's suppose you had a real hard nose Fairly dedicated government that was united and powerful enough to pass a few laws. You know, kind of a rare thing. But suppose it, and they said, "Look, you know, we've we've determined a lot of this stuff is just people chasing each other. You know, it's it's good for competition, but it's not good for achievement."
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And they said, "We're not gonna when we hire people, we're not gonna pay you for that anymore. We're gonna pay like we have other measures, some of which might be genetic, that are better predicting whether you can actually do it. And we're gonna hire on that." Or, and again, it could be other measures too. Perhaps we have other ways of giving you some sort of more realistic test. It shows you whether you can do it. Anyhow, but suppose we had more realistic tests than whether you went to Harvard. Suppose you had a government that shifted to them. Well, at least in government jobs, yeah, that had hurt Harvard. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I mean, it doesn't mean none of them would ever get it. I mean, unless they're so good at selecting for bad things that, uh, you know, anybody with anything really in the ball never goes to Harvard, which is certainly something we should explore. <laughs> but, uh uh But, I mean, there's something wrong. I can tell you that because, you know, colleges have become much more meritocratic since really starting in the 50s and then became almost universally so after. Although, you know, let's say for the for most of their students, there are others who are becoming less, uh, uh, meritocratic through things like affirmative action. But, Mm -hmm. you know, but they became more meritocratic, less, uh, less money, somewhat, less your parents' prestige and things. More, less where you went to school, more your test scores. That certainly happened in the 60s. Mm-hmm. It's probably receded some. And by the way, there's a lot of move to recede it. They talk about how wonderful it is that we're paying less attention to objective measures of merit and more attention to something that's not. You see, a lot of grad schools are dropping the GRE. Yeah. Well, I yeah. said, that's, well, they're wrong. I mean, if you wanted people who can do the stuff rather than come across well in an interview, which, is, as I said, is notoriously bad mm-hmm. at predicting. I mean, that's what they're shifting it to, other things, like the interview. Or you went to – people will say, we went to prestigious college, as opposed to, oh, you're just sharp. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're and, – and it's progressive. They're they're all happy about how much wonderful it is that we're paying less attention to solid indications of your actual ability. I mean, they're not perfect because there's range restriction.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and, and since they don't understand statistics, they think that mean they said the reason – that you don't see that much difference between the people you let it in is because there isn't that much difference. But if you get rid of this criterion, there may be. You know, so for example, I knew someone who was a graduate student who was occasionally looking at applications at uh uh UC, uh, uh which college? One of the UC colleges. And they would have people apply and They're also used to talking about differences between different countries. There are certain countries where the people apply would typically be 15th percentile, and they wouldn't admit them. Mm -hmm. But if you did, then you'd see how much difference that that being 15th percentile in the GRE is from being 85th, Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: there's a lot of difference. But if the range is from 70 to 90, you know, let's say you're not the very top school, so somebody else is getting the top 10%, they won't typically – you know, on the academic things, they won't look wildly different because they aren't wildly different, but that's because you only pick people like you could pick a lot lower. Mm-hmm. You know, you that would what better way to decrease to increase diversity? That most valuable of all <laughs> useless things. Uh but uh uh at any rate, yeah you know, uh you know a lot of people don't like like let's suppose let's suppose we had we were using um, polygenic risk scores for things well, like. Well, let's
0: let's talk about what that means, though. So he does use the word polygenic quite a bit.
1: So what that means is that in most of the traits, they're almost all, but not quite all. No single gene is super important and super common. Okay, so like height or IQ. Difference. Yes, IQ are, and IQ is as much that way as any of them. They okay. have lots and lots of things that have a little effect. It means it's you have to do big studies and be statistically careful to find them. When people first started looking at this twenty or thirty years ago, they'd they'd be looking at something that might they could detect it if it made a five percent effect, say, but nothing would had that big an effect.
0: So there's no there's no big gene for IQ other than the few really bad genes that make you unintelligent, but, and
1: each of those is rare. But yeah. in, in principle, there could be one of the things, and this is actually a, there's a weakness in this book. Which is there are questions that you can understand better if you think of it from the viewpoint of not just uh, behavioral genetics, but population genetics and evolutionary genetics. And mostly he doesn't, and he loses a bit by that. So, for example, he mentions at one point in the book, uh, rare genes are usually bad.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: By the way, but they're not. There are a lot of them. Everybody's having different mutations, and some of them are bad. But you don't have the same. So no given one. But the but the category is not, you know, there's quite a few bad genes around. Everybody has some bad mutations. He says, well, they seem to be deleterious. That's interesting. I said, but it's also what's predicted by theory, and everybody expected it, who knew any population genetics. So wait, because
0: is, that, is this part of what your polygenic score, your, your mutation? No, it's of not.
1: Bad genes? Okay. If we could do a better job, and we were good at counting those, I said, we don't understand them as well because... You see, with a common gene, we can see its effect in many different people. We can understand what it does. In a rare gene that only hits one person, it's hard to tell. Is this what made this guy dumb or is it something else he's got?
2: Oh. You
1: see the problem. Yeah. So if a better polygenic score, if we could calculate it, and right now it's we don't – and it's certainly not trivially easy, we would not only count the effects of all the common genes, but we would also count the effects of the rare genes. Now, there are indirect ways of estimating the size of these things. Like if you start noticing the heritability is bigger than the amount explained by the common genes, probably that means you're getting down to some of the rest is the rare genes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you might say you're more similar to your parents than we thought would happen from just the similarity in common genes. The answer is well, but with your parents, you're similar in the rare genes too, and so if they're negative, so you would probably expect this to play a bigger role in some of these syn- psychological syndromes that are probably just plain bad. Uh, another thing he said, which is not informed by theory. By the way, I was at first curious. I said, is he simplifying some of these things because he's you know, aiming at a more general audience, or does he just not usually think in those terms? And the book certainly
0: is for – I mean it's for a general audience of at least it people is, who would read it the is. science section of their newspaper. It's, it's certainly not oh, – true. Really- just for but but, we should but like
1: he says, what he talks about, let's talk about people varying from, let's say, normal to schizophrenic. And it's mm-hmm. sort of a continuum. You can be a lot schizophrenic, a little. You might just be a little odd in that direction. Mm-hmm. He said it's not really sensible to think of it as a, as a disease. It's just you know variation. You're at the edge of it. And I said, no, you're wrong. I don't. And it, it is sensible to think of it as a disease. And here's why. Probably a lot of your propensity to be schizophrenic boils down to bad. Genes, not just genes that have mixed effects and are generally common. By the way, if they're purely bad, you can see why it's hard to, to be common. Mm-hmm. Okay, because they shrink away. But uh some, I'd say significant fraction of the story is rare deleterious genes, and there's an objective way to define deleterious fitness. It reduces your your fitness, it reduces your your reproduction. So, for example, if you uh but there are other things which are psychological variation that may not be. So, for example, suppose some people were very curious and take risks. We mm-hmm. might call them bold. And other people were cautious and didn't. Like, let's suppose there's a box which might have goodies and might have a grenade which is left out. Let's say a few people are bold.
2: Right. They
1: have a tendency to to go after that box. Now mm-hmm. they may they they take the same risk as everybody else, but if there are only a few of them, they get more benefit. They're, you know, if there's chocolate, they're, they're going to get it. But wait, go back to the schizophrenia though. I, I think I remember him
0: writing that the the relatives of people who are schizophrenic are more likely to be in creative professions. And well, sure. Isn't that a sign that schizophrenia is on a
1: continuum? It's just
0: you have too much no, creativity? The, quest-
1: the question is, is this some sort of mixed strategies where, in, you know, like being at least in the direction of schizophrenia has some benefits and being in the other direction also has some benefits, you mm-hmm. know, like you could talk about, like you know, the, the old, the classic model is hawks and doves. Let's say a hawk can dominate doves, but if hawks become too common, they spend all their time fighting each other, and it's actually worse to be a hawk. You end up with a a balance of strategies. Right. right. Okay. Are there things like that with human personality? There may well be, but there's no indication that schizophrenia or autism is one of them. Why
0: isn't what he wrote then evidence against that, that the relatives of people who are schizophrenic are –
1: Because the question is not whether you – they thought they were more creative. But creative, you know, creative and five bucks will get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks.
0: But, I mean, being good at playing the guitar, if you're a guy, will get
1: you things of evolutionary value. Recently. Like, let's suppose – like, what what is most of the evolutionary history of most people? Fight, you know, trying to get by on a on a farm that's not really big enough. Yeah. Okay, for most. And by the way, before that, trying to make a living, uh, hunting in an area that's not as big as you'd like. And if it is as big as it's life, it's only because you guys keep getting keep killing each other before the population gets too dense. I mean. Bad things are always, one thing or another is always limiting the population. It might be, you know, well, when we got more dense, we always had an epidemic. When we got more dense, we ran out of land to grow food. When we got more dense, we killed each other more. It was always unpleasant stuff. And none of it had a lot to do with creativity. So if you're talking about peasants, you know, most people's ancestors for most of the past 5,000 years were peasants. They were, you know, just sitting around growing stuff. And they spent almost all your time doing that. Now well, let's suppose you're the sort of peasant who has really wild and crazy ideas. You are a budding Steve Martin. Okay. Yeah. Well, it won't do you a fucking bit of good. Now, let's suppose you're a little more extreme and you, you're to the point where you're starting to hear voices that aren't there. Well, uh, like you know, here was an example. A uh, guy named – now, by the way, I, ha- I am not sure that all this work was correct because some of the earlier work – it hasn't panned out very well, okay? But he was looking for strong genes involved schizophrenia. It's not impossible to find one if it's only in one family. Mm-hmm. Again, we're not explaining most of the population variants. A guy named Kerry Stephenson, who's done a lot of genetics in Iceland, and who's kind of a, you know, I was, he's sort of a mix of a total fool and semi-competent. He's, he's a weird person. And I'll, I'm going to just say why in this anecdote. He was finding they could sometimes find a gene, it would be like in one family. You wouldn't find the same mutation in another family, and it was why that family had schizophrenia. It's not impossible. It's you can have these very strongly schizophrenic families mm-hmm. where one or two genes is important. Assuming he was right, but he's the principle is right even if his if he was mistaken. Uh, because I could say other things that we really do know cases where it causes horrible things. You know the families dwindle away when you have a strong gene that causes like having schizophrenia drops your fitness by at least fifty percent, particularly in guys. Yeah. I know it seems strange, but but being crazy means women don't want to marry you. Yeah. Okay. Um and um and he found uh he found that being crazy reduced your fitness. Which by the way, everybody who'd ever worked in schizophrenia already knew that, to the point where it was hard to find families to study because they kept the families kept disappearing mm-hmm. after three generations. Mm-hmm. I remember somebody did a study in an area where families were very large, so even so they lasted longer as they shrank. You know, It was mm. an area of Finland where they had big farm families, and mm. you'd go find the crazy people. Instead of having six, they'd have three, so at least they didn't vanish during right. the, the part term in the study. Anyway, he said, "Well, uh, he said he was surprised that being crazy dropped your fitness." <laughs> he said, "I would have thought that when it came, and I'm quoting exactly." I would have thought when it came to natural selection, the brain was a luxury organ. This is a typical person who came out of medical genetics education a few years ago, and maybe still. Total, totally wrong. I mean, there's, I mean, how did, the only reason the brain ever works at all is because it had payoffs, yeah. uh, uh, in terms of fitness. Anyhow, this is a weakness. There are several points where this shows up. As I said, there could be things, like suppose we're talking about difference between shy and bold. Many creatures have, have a spectrum of shy boldness. Goldfish Mm -hmm. have a spectrum of shy and boldness, and it's kind of stable because it works. Mm -hmm. You know, if only a few guys take the risk, they get all the benefits, and that may be worth the risk. If everybody takes it, they, the benefits are split more finely. Mm -hmm. So, in other words, if, if bold people are not too common, they may break even. Right. Depends on how common they are.
0: And an equilibrium that uh, has to be, and
2: it's a beneficial right. strategy.
1: Right. Now, the question is, are the the thing is, but most variation, or a lot of it. Now, by the way, there's another way to have variation. Like suppose that that Eskimos, it paid off to be cautious when you're going out hunting in the winter. Right. Because you never, for sure, knew where you're going to run into either a polar bear who would eat you, or you run, in, you break your leg, and nobody can find you in time because a blizzard shows up. Mm-hmm. Let's suppose that other people who lived in a different kind of environment, the number of truly unpredictable disastrous things was somewhat lower. It could be. I mean, maybe you have some place where, you know, the climate is more like New Mexico and you don't have blizzards. You don't have, you know, bone crushing storms. Okay. Mm -hmm. Very often. Well, you could, in principle, select for Eskimos to be more cautious. Mm -hmm. So you could have different regional differences in personality that have to do with what has worked in the past. Yes, and they well, and they may exist, but but don't worry. Plum never talks about that, well, uh, and it's careful not to talk well, about. It. But but this but the, but the important thing is some things are variations that work. They could even within a population they could be variations that well, work. But, but, but going back to
0: schizophrenia though, why couldn't being creative help you in terms of telling stories and negotiating with other humans in your hunter gatherer tribe?
1: You have to be. It's hard to make it pay off. Like why do we have patents? because other people right. will copy your innovations. It's In a sense, you know, uh, the mere fact we developed complex speech, it gave a greater range for intelligence and it gave greater advantages to intelligence, mm-hmm. but it reduced the relative advantages of intelligence because everybody else copied. Like, mm-hmm. you, you figure out a new way to catch rabbits. What the problem is, the yeah, el- the yeah. everybody else will do it, even if they couldn't mm-hmm. have thought of it. Well, so the relative at- advantages of both intelligence mm-hmm. and creativity, particularly creativity, are lower than you would think. Even with storytelling, even if you can get people to trust you as a leader because you're good at telling stories. Well, I cannot think of an example of anybody I ever heard of in say medieval or ancient history who did manage to succeed that way. Uh, I mean, the point is being at the edge of schizophrenia, you know, being, being highly creative. Uh, I don't think it, ha- or, like, here's another aspect, which is, has been looked at for a long time. Uh, a certain – not so much schizophrenia, more like manic depression is higher – appears to be strongly higher than usual in people's certain kinds of verbal gifts. In fact, this is probably stronger for performance than schizophrenia is, and particularly poetry. And this – people have been saying this for a long time, uh that, you know, the best poets all have a touch of madness.
0: Yeah.
1: Again, Aristotle said it, and he wasn't kidding. And he's right. And it's not just Sylvia Plath. And it's not just Ted Hughes. Mm-hmm. but I don't think they have a lot of descendants.
0: So it's just, that would be kind of interesting if genes that are deleterious just so happen to now be socially very productive.
1: In certain issues. In well, certain sure. Issues. I mean, and that's a good thing. I mean, mm-hmm. not in the sense we want to try to make them more common because I, I think that Sylvia Plath wasn't happy a lot of the I, times, even if she was a Probably poet. right. Yeah. Although I would like to tell you that when she gassed herself, she put, you know, things all along the, uh, the you know the bottom of the door and everything, so it wouldn't hurt anybody else in the house. I want to be fair. That well, no, that's definitely it wasn't me. Consider it. I mean, but I think her husband killed himself too, and I think one of her kids killed himself. I, it's you know, I mean, yeah. the point is, uh, there are things which are not part of a strategy, but we have found social uses for. Well, what about autism though? I would guess that would be useful. That was probably hun- one of them. Well, and useful in hunting. I that mean, should you be not-
0: able to. You'll be able to detect patterns and tracks. Also, people are cooperative hunters.
1: You want to understand each other, just like that. I mean, almost to the point where the guy just says, I mean, says a little bit, and you know what he's going to do, so you don't accidentally, you know, you know, like you don't miscoordinate, let the prey go, or accidentally spear each other. You need to, you know, you know, that's one of the cases you really need to quickly and easily understand. Your theory of mind needs to work well with your buddies. It really does uh i don't know about autism you know we could probably test this out with paintball and i'd be happy to see somebody do it but it's it's you have to be good at this uh in actual practical things people did most of the time in the majority of cultures there was a, there was at least some sort of group hunting right. not always i mean there there's some individual hunting too but you know individual hunting is always at least dangerous if you have any big animals at all because there's nobody to watch your back there's nobody to help you get home if you break a leg you, you, I mean, it's like cave—you know—cave divers. What do you call a cave diver who does it by himself? Yeah. Dead, right? Uh, suppose you're going out hunting mammoths. I don't care how mighty a hunter you are. You're a lot smarter if you if you do it with some other people. But
0: you want someone who you know who can keep track of the time of the year, the time of day, where the where it's but going. But that's mostly
1: smarts. Smarts are not incompatible with being socially adept. Mm-hmm. uh so I would say the reason we see a disproportionate number of people who have, ment- who are very bright but mentally odd who do great things. It's not everybody, but it's more than you would – and I had to explain this to people. How do you know that you don't have 30 40% of the people in your high school class are just as strange as Alan Turing? I said, because I showed up. I knew them. <laughs> yeah. Nobody in that class was as strange as Alan Turing. And nobody in that class was as bright as Alan Turing. But I can also think of people who are bright and weren't particularly strange at all. But it's more common among the people who are great achievers in things like math and stuff. And why? I would guess that there are a couple of reasons. And there might – I mean it is possible that there are mutations that make you smarter, but make you crappier at getting along with people. I think they may exist. But I'll tell you, we're looking at such small subsets of people that it would be hard to find them. Mm -hmm. You see that, right? If we're talking about extraordinary achievers, it would, it's hard to get a million samples out of your extraordinary achievers, right? right. Um, but here's another thing. What if you are less distracted? Is like, you know, like spending all your time thinking about math? What if you were like Paul Erdos? He mm-hmm. spent all his time thinking about math. He essentially never thought about anything else. I don't think it did his fitness much help. He, like, he never had anything to do with women. And mm-hmm. there's some sort of rule that if you don't do that, <laughs> you don't have any descendants. What was it? You know, uh, um, Uh, what is it Uh, familiarity may breed contempt but lack of familiarity breeds nothing at all (laughs) uh, uh, and I can think of other guys who at least in their key points of their career some of them got over it they weren't very social and that gave them more time to concentrate you you need an odd combination of a guy with a lot of brains and who has something about him that makes it hard for him to get along with other people it may help him concentrate Mm -hmm. there was a guy a few years back who won the fields guy Borchards from South Mm -hmm. Africa and I was reading an interview with him uh, by the, some reporter from the New York Times, and it was clear in the course of the interview, and, the, and I don't think the interviewer could understand why he was afraid of her. Ah, uh, he wasn't. Uh, and she wasn't hostile or anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure she didn't understand his work, but who, who, I mean, hardly anybody would. But uh, but later there was an article in Science, which they were talking about, you know, this general thing of we see an unusual number of people who are kind of odd. And mm-hmm. who are very tippy top in math and science. And they mm-hmm. started they started talking about, you know, without mentioning any names, a particular recent fields medalist. And <laughs> since there are only, you know, they only give it every four years. You know, the number of recent field medalists <laughs> can be counted on the fingers of both hands, yeah. maybe a couple of toes. And and you could tell instantly, oh, they're talking about Borchards. He did what? Uh, although Borchards had an interesting comment once. He said, Yeah, I know I'm kind of strange. I mean, like he'd do an interview while while running. He liked mm-hmm. to run. By the way, so did Alan Turing, who was actually good enough. He was, you know, he, I think he was an Olympic contender at one point. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a serious long-distance runner. So was Barcher's. And his idea of a comfortable way to do an interview is you're both running while they talk. Well, it's not comfortable for most interviewers. You're supposed to, you know, sit down. But he said, well, why would you want to do that? Because uh-huh. he doesn't know why. Uh He's very awkward with other people. Anyhow, uh, uh. But he did say, I've given many lectures at many, you know, since his, particularly since his fields. And I'll tell you, in every department I've ever given, there's always at least one guy who is stranger than me. <laughs> but if, if, um, if I picked, let's say, the, uh, history department, that might not be true.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, he mentioned one of the guys in one of the departments he visited, who's had gone over to friends to have dinner, and he spent the entire dinner sitting underneath the table reading the Britannica instead of eating but his friend said well you know he's like that uh but most people aren't like that a surprise anyhow. the question is so there are different ways one is you could be defective in a way that's bad for your fitness but it's good for your discipline right like if you spend all your interest on math and nothing else all else equal that'll carry you farther in math but it won't give you a lot of kids mm-hmm. uh now now sometimes you can get all the way like Dirac he, by the way and he he would just go on long walks while I was talking to people, which is at least easier because at least you're not out of breath. But he didn't understand other people a bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has a biography I have up on my shelf called The Strangest Man. He's not, but he's pretty strange. And, um, or like, you know, people, friends of his would refer to him this way. Uh, Eugene Wigner, who was a friend in the sense, and a good friend because Wigner's v- v- sister married Dirac
0: knew mm-hmm. him.
1: He was talking about Feynman. He's in his mathematical abilities. He said, Feynman is another Dirac, only human.
0: So you think the difference between Dirac and Feynman would be that Dirac has deleterious mutations that are so added to intelligence, while Feynman just has a very high polygenic score for intelligence without as many deleterious mutations that also make
1: you smart? Probably. And the thing is, particular deleterious ones that don't get in the way of doing math or physics, but perhaps... May get, I mean, actually get in the way of some other things could actually be helpful because they help you concentrate. Uh, or well, what were your
0: opportunity mem- costs of studying math because you are not really going to go to a party and, you know, be a huge success.
1: I can think of times in which I was distracted from math and physics by other things. Right. <laughs> and I think that with somebody like Dirac, that happened a lot less. Oh, by one other interesting thing about both Dirac and Feynman, they were both incorrect they would have benefited from reading Plowman's book. You see, Dirac's father was a strange dude. Mm-hmm. He had all sorts of very strict rules. One of them, he wanted people, he thought people should learn French. Some of his family were French,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which is where, you know, Dirac's full name is Paul Adrian Maurice Dirac. Mm-hmm. You know, I think French Swiss. Anyway, any rate, so he insisted at the table, when you speak, you must speak in French. Dirac found that very difficult, so he never spoke at the dinner table at all. <laughs> okay, and he blamed... A lot of his problems, you know. Dirac knew he was uncomfortable. The things were people were difficult for him. He blamed his father's upbringing. He yeah. was almost certainly wrong. It wasn't his upbringing. It was the fact that this guy gave him the same genes that made him a little strange. And by the way, one of Dirac's brothers uh, ended up killing himself. Uh and and that was interesting too because Dirac's father was terribly broken up for it. He deeply loved all his children. Of course, you know, he could express that by yelling at you most of the time, but he did, and he was terribly hurt when his son that was son died, and Dirac said, I didn't know people got that upset when they had a son die. Well, you know, you're you're supposed to know that. But yeah. Dirac did not. Dirac was mistaken in an, in relative roles of nature and nurture in his own life. And yeah. so was Feynman. So well, for example, Feynman had he had a, a son um, and a biological son and later an adoptive son when he, he married somebody. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'm, she may have been the mother of both of them. I can't remember. I think perhaps. Uh, at any rate, so he was, he would be telling stories, uh, to the kids and he would make up elaborate stories, which when you finally understood them, you realize, oh, you're looking at this from the viewpoint of somebody who's a micron high mm-hmm. or something. Like those, you're in, you're in my nose. Those giant trees are nose hairs. Okay. And, and he would tell this story. And his son liked them. He liked these elaborate, you know, odd point-of-view stories. His daughter said, who was not his biological daughter, said, I want standard f- stories from the f- fairy story books, and I want you to read them the way they are in the book, and I want you to read them the same way every time, because that's what I like. Yeah. And he said, well, people are just different. And the answer is, yes, they are. and that's And it is not a complete coincidence that Carl – um Feynman, his son, was managed to get through Caltech and was a successful physicist. See because his biological father was one of the best physicists in North America or the yeah. world and and his sister they the f- biological father was not uh and Feynman at least you know he didn't believe in this stuff, or so he said uh but he was mistaken uh one of the few areas i would I would expect that I knew more about it than him, although there are probably a couple of others uh you know I, I could have told him, try not to have an affair with your colleagues' wives because it, they will be mad at you uh
0: I bet he knew that he was just willing to accept that price
1: it could be it could be uh uh, uh but uh uh but at any rate uh these things do matter, but uh you know i I don't think. Like was Feynman undistracted by women? The only sense in which he was undistracted by women in the Manhattan Project was he was actually very attached to his first wife, who was dying of tuberculosis, and I think that was my. From what I hear, that's pretty much all that was on his mind, other than work, while he was on the Manhattan Project. So he he was probably only distracted by his sadness. Yeah. Uh, but uh, at other times, sure, you know, who knows? Uh but I've heard of guys who I could, you know, like Schrodinger, evidently came up with the idea for the wave equation. Mm-hmm. while on a vacation with his mistress. So, you know, who knows? You know, he wasn't like Dirac. Oh, well, by the way, as I said, Dirac did finally get married. But, you know, the key step where his strategy worked, mm-hmm. first win the Nobel Prize.
0: Well.
1: See, because, Vig- you know, you're going to hang out with people like Wigner. His sister probably could put up with physicists. I mean, they weren't all as strange as as Dirac, but they weren't, you know, dead average. Yeah. Uh, and she's thinking, I have a couple of kids Will he be a good provider? I said, well, I don't know. He's already won the Nobel Prize. He probably should be able to get some kind of job. Yeah. Uh, And, uh, and, you know, her brother and him were friends. You know, so, so if you you pursue the genetic specialist thing to the point where you become world famous, yeah, it works. But that doesn't explain why it exists because that, it rarely works, okay? Uh, you know, I bet you other people who spent all their time concentrated on something and they didn't win the Nobel Prize, okay? Uh, anyhow, I think that it's really true. There are cases of people where at least part of the explanation for what they're doing is something that is really, from an evolutionary point of view, an unsuccessful st- – it's not even a strategy at all. It's just a mistake. Mm-hmm. But we, you know, individuals and in societies can sometimes find a role for such people, and it's good to do so.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, well, here's one. You know, there are mutations of uh, collagen that make your joints hyperflexible.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so, And this is actually bad because over the years you tend to get bad knees. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Things are, Tendons are too easily stretched, that sort of thing. But on the other hand, like suppose we had a job where you had to, uh, you know, crawl inside this incredibly tight space to get to something and fix it that needed to be fixed. You might be the only guy who could do it. Mm -hmm. Or you could be a contortionist in the circus if we still had circuses. But the point is sometimes these things, which are not really good on average, people find something to do with them. Okay. And I'm all for it. I mean, it's good that they can get a job. I mean, it used to be, not so much anymore, but it used to be, there were a certain number of industrial jobs where, unless you put a lot of work in it, the workplace was naturally extremely noisy.
2: Yeah. I mean,
1: dangerous to your hearing. And sometimes, like a boiler factory or something. And they would say, sometimes they would hire congenitally deaf people. And you were turning lemons into lemon. Like, it's not good to be deaf. But, yeah. you know, you can do that job. It, you're not much worse at it than anybody else, and it doesn't hurt you. Mm-hmm. So you know. So if you when you can find things like that, it's a plus. I think. Mm-hmm. But it's
0: it, it, it's interesting for our future. I mean, assuming we we do, or at least the Chinese do, engage in genetic engineering for super What kind of people will they be creating? What will be what will be the the first ways you can do it? Will it be to well, create uh, people who are seriously
1: weird and unhappy. Uh, well, my motto is to understand these things better so you can chemically induce the things and then you can only take it on work hours and you can kick back on the weekends and be a human being. That's what I would – and actually, I've seen but stories, something like that in science fiction. That's probably
0: going to be harder to do, right? For- yes,
1: but it would be far more humane. You've yes, admitted. but well, it must be subjective. Let's <laughs> suppose that the best poets have a touch of madness. Um Do you think they enjoy the madness enough to justify the poetry? Particularly the part where they kill themselves, probably not. No, almost. But the other thing is, you can have people with all of that, and you're almost a successful poet, but you got all the misery. Yeah. Uh I would bet a humane. Let's suppose we freely did careful, accurate, you know, genetic engineering where we knew what was going to come out of it. Right. You know, it's a mature subject. We're not there, but suppose we were. I think there are things that produce interesting people, and we would not produce those interesting people because they're miserable. So
0: let's imagine that the Chinese government isn't quite as worried about that. They're more they more want to produce top scientists. Would they have an enormous advantage over the United States if they're like, well, we are willing to tolerate some people not being very happy?
1: Maybe. I mean, like, let's suppose we're going to create a thousand people with whose you know whose genome is has propensities that are sort of like, um, well, Boltzmann, Boltzmann killed himself, Dirac. You know, I think Dirac ended up kind of happy after he got married, but you know, I don't think being Dirac, most of his early life was terribly comfortable. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, I don't think it, you know he didn't kill himself; he wasn't him. Or how about Dirac's brother? Dirac's brother, you know, he doesn't get famous and he does kill himself. Terry Tao had a brother, has a brother who's severe. Yeah. Who he can like play chess, but he can't. He's autistic enough; he can't. He can't do other things. I bet he's not very happy now. Terry Tao may be fairly happy, and I, I certainly hope so. Mm-hmm. But you know. But he's a, I mean, I've talked to people who had friends in the program. They said, yeah, he's a little odd. His brother's a lot odder. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, how many people would you want to make miserable in order to create the heights of culture? Like, I doubt if, uh, G- G- Goodell, you know, the, the guy who proved the incomplete, you know, one of the you know biggest, most significant pieces of 20th century mathematics. I don't think, well, he wasn't always unhappy, but he was often unhappy, and he had problems. For example, he thought people were trying to poison him, and he would, and he could only eat because his wife was his food taster. And when she got hospitalized, when he was pretty old, he starved to death. It strikes me that there's something not perfect about this. He just doesn't sound jolly, you know? Uh, uh, and I know he went through long periods of depression when he was at the Institute for Advanced Study, and Einstein, who was a friend of his, would try to, said, hey, you wanna, you wanna try this? I remember Einstein introduced him to general relativity, and then, Mm uh, uh, Goidel, because he was Goidel, came up with an exact solution that, that if you could build it, would be a time machine. (laughs) I mean, look, the man was great, but I don't think Mm. he was terribly happy. And, uh, I mean, there's other people who are far worse.
0: But of course, happiness too is probably one of these traits that's polygenic. Right? If you are careful right?
1: at breeding these things, you could probably get all of the above, as long as there's not some biochemical mechanism where you know, it's probably hard to be both a fullback and a jockey. Yeah. You know, but in many cases, yeah, maybe you could. And, and I say, you know, it's there are real tendencies in this direction of of uncomfortable strangeness. And what for what we're talking about, uncomfortable is perhaps the most important part. Like if you wanted, if you could influence these things. Would you would it be right or would you feel right in doing something that would make a guy with tremendous potential to do world-shaking work, but who it it would a would probably fail. We'd have to make 40 of them and see that two work. Most of them would just get the downside. Yeah. And the downside might be big. I said if we look at like I don't actually think that other than when he was Proving that he was smarter than somebody else. I don't actually think Isaac Newton was terribly happy. No. Although uh, you you can
0: argue as long as they're better off existing than not existing, you're 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 not really saying well it would be you or a happier version of you. It's just you don't so exist. So you do exist,
1: if you have good, if you have the ability to ignore pain and just think happy thoughts, even if you are. On a, a rat being tortured your entire life—that could be better no, than not existing. that's that
0: is too strong. If you know, you're like, well, gee, I'm far less happy than the average human. But yeah, at the end of your life, you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I existed.
1: That well, means- there's a uh, look. I'm not sure some of these people could say that. Although no, actually, most most that, of them would. Most of yeah. them would, but some of them were very miserable. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking of yet another mathematician who shot himself and shot his retarded child. Uh, I think he was miserable. Uh, I think. Uh, 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 you know, it's, it's hard to say. But the other thing is, wouldn't it be better if they were happier? Of course, before you know it, you're going to produce genetically people who giggle constantly. Uh, but, uh, there's another question, which is, I said, well, what if we said, well, you know, what if hostile aliens are coming and if we don't do it, they're going to get us? You know, necessity. Or what if we don't do it? The Chinese will conquer the world. Okay. Necessity is a, is, a, has an argument too.
0: Or, I mean, what I think is that we're, we're likely to create a superintelligence relatively soon that will take over, and getting it to be friendly to us is really important. So it might be worth creating some people who aren't that happy to program it so it doesn't do bad things. To us.
1: Maybe they're smarter than it. Uh, uh, that probably can't be, but yeah. <laughs> but, well, who knows? Uh, well, like, here's an example. People don't realize how far selection does to go. Now, Steve Chu does. That's because yeah. he's crazy, too. Actually, no, Steve's not crazy. No. But he sees, he knows things that a lot of people don't want to accept. Like, here's an the example. kind of person
0: you would trust to run a large organization. He does seem very stable.
1: <laughs> he seems like a stable genius, as you know, Trump uh, I could easily imagine working with Steve. and I, I've talked mm-hmm. with him a number of times, and I would probably feel pretty comfortable. I'm not saying we'd agree on everything, but I think we'd – and we might even disagree strongly on something, but I think we could talk. At any rate, the uh, – Example I was thinking of, people have been breeding fruit flies for speed of flying mm-hmm. for many generations. And uh, originally, they just sort of bumble along. They're not, you know, trying hard to fly, in you know, a strongly in a particular – so their average speed when they were in the air was about two centimeters per second. You know, just kind of – you know what it is now with the, you know, 30th generation or whatever? No. 180 centimeters per second. But from two centimeters to 180. Might have been 170. That's – quite depressive. well look at you know look at I'll all see. sorts of domestic animals look at look like look compare a chihuahua to a wolf okay yeah uh, com- i mean in terms of personality compare a border collie to a wolf a border collie gets along well with people it likes people mm-hmm. it won't eat your children but a wolf will and
0: so how far away should we doing that with intelligence? i mean once we I mean, how far away are we from being able to explain most of intelligence with specific genes, Be able to look at someone's DNA and say we can predict like 70% of your IQ?
1: I don't know if we're ever going to – well, A, uh, I mean, considering identical twins are not perfectly identical, you don't expect perfect prediction ever because right. that's all genetics the same. But we have made substantial progress on the common genes. I would say on the rare genes, we really haven't yet. As I said, they're difficult –
0: but that's easy because we just know to not give you rare genes. Oh, if we were
1: designing somebody, sure, you're right. If we're you're using
0: just... CRISPR to, you know, try to create really we smart can, people. And we
1: can freely change many things without yeah. worrying about – Yes, I actually wrote about this a long time ago. I said, suppose you were trying to clone a Neanderthal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we had several high-quality genomes from the time they were still around, you know, for ancient DNA. Mm-hmm. And we had done our very best to eliminate artifacts from the age and damage. We still might say, well, you know, there's still more, you know, every error is a mutation. Right. But we can eliminate some of those by sort of taking, like, if we have three, four, ten DNFL genomes. If we do some averaging, mm. we can, uh, pick things that, uh, uh, you know, it's unlikely that the same mistake is in all ten of them. Okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, now you have to do this a little complicated because sometimes you'll have a whole region of the genome where they either have this whole pattern or that whole pattern. You might have to average in some cases by a larger pattern, a haplotype. But you know, but still, in principle, you could do it. I, then I'd tell people, "What's the catch?" I said, "Well, what would happen if you had a Neanderthal who has no bad genes? You would probably eliminate all the rare genes. Yeah. So he has no bad genes." What do you do if you actually created a an Neanderthal who's far smarter than any human being? It might be. I said, we've all seen this movie several times. Hmm. Uh, uh, I said, for that matter, what if you took a chip and took got rid of all the bad genes? He'd be smarter than any chimp. Maybe he'd be smarter than us. Now, I doubt this. Neanderthals are probably much closer. Right. But I said, but the neat thing is, is you can imagine doing by a guy who knows no theory. He could probably do this by accident. And that's a classic beginning for a movie: is when people create something cosmically important by by, by accident. accident.
0: So uh, we should take John von Neumann's DNA, then get rid of all the bad, parts. of all the all the, the mutations, and then get us. Something. What
1: do we do with the part that made him? He had a real propensity to stare at women's legs. Can we leave that part, or should we? I don't know. Was that come from the bad genes? Or... I'm asking you. Ah. <laughs> uh, but let me go back and talk about some of the things we covered. Most of it, uh, mm-hmm. I said one of the things is that he needs to he needs to think more about genetic theory. Like he was saying, well, probably schizophrenia is just the edge of the distribution, mm-hmm. and I think it's the people who have the most deleterious genes. That's a different way of thinking of it. And, of and course, I if think you, it's if far you're right, it's
0: still you, you, it's still hereditary, right? You still inherit. it oh, yeah. Because your parents oh, yeah. have those. But uh,
1: but uh, it's but, uh, uh, but it isn't just. You know, I keep trying to say, well, it's really just part of the many flavors we come in. I said, no, it's it could be more accurately described as a mistake. No, uh, as I said, some variations is probably not a mistake, but some almost certainly is. Now, uh, he
0: mentioned that if your parents have one kind of, of mental disorder, your kids are more likely to have a mental disorder, but necessarily the same one.
1: If you were trying to fig- classify um, mental disorders, say schizophrenia, say serious depression, say manic depression – Uh, by, uh, by their causes, by their genetic causes, as opposed to their symptomology, you would not come up with the same, uh, categories you have today. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, you know, there may be people like one, one kid might be schizophrenic and the other might be suicidally depressive and it might be to a significant extent the same genes involved, which are somehow messing up the brain, but exactly how the brain goes wrong. Depends on perhaps yet other genes or perhaps circumstances but but there is a strong genetic component, yeah, so they were finding uh and that now there are narrow exceptions to this again, like when when they say uh you know these things are polygenic, most things are there is, for example, a rare but not incredibly rare thing which is a deletion of a certain little region of several genes. Mm-hmm. And it causes the symptoms, uh, causes something called velocardial syndrome. It actually causes some heart problems, but it also causes a personality thing, which will, if you had to put it in some bin, you'd kind of say it was schizophrenia, but it's not exactly like a lot of others. Uh you know, all, all of these categories were made by people who did not understand anything about the details of how the trouble was happening to the brain or the genetics behind it. In other words, they didn't really understand anything at all. Uh, about uh how mental illness works. I mean, to be fair, there were some guys all along who knew there was a hereditary component. There were people who talked to Krepelin, talked about this probably in 1910. But over the years, most of the 20th century, people who emphasized other causes, none of which were true, dominated over the people. Like if you talk to a smart, skeptical, like the best guy you could find on mental illness in 1930, he would said, there's some hereditary going on in a lot of cases, not all. Mm-hmm. I know there's a subcategory we kind of do understand, at least what the cause is, which would have been tertiary syphilis, which was much more common back then before antibiotics. Mm-hmm. They had a, you'd have a wing of the mental hospital full of just that. Mm-hmm. You know, people sitting there screaming who have no nose.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, uh and uh and that was understood. And they were actually making progress on it in, in you know reducing syphilis. And and then they'd say, a few cases there's a brain tumor, and once in a blue moon, it's where we can reach it without killing them. You know, like, it's very, um, meningiomas sometimes were curable even back then, I think, because they're mm-hmm. on the surface. Mm-hmm. And, um, and most of the time, fuck, we can't really do anything and we don't really understand it. But that's the telling the truth, you see, yeah. when you say you don't understand it. But, and they'd probably say, it's probably something wrong with your brain. And, you know, but, you know, Freudian doesn't replace that. It says, oh no, you know, it was, you know, the wrong kind of toilet training. Well, that actually doesn't have anything to do with it at all. And all the things that, that psychology talked about for a year, many years was totally wrong. No, but in fact, there is an important implication of this, which uh, Pullman does not discuss. Pullman also talks about how people should react to X. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to the bear baiting and the rat catching and the watching the hanging. Like, I doubt if people, the sort of people who enjoyed watching the hanging would probably, in 1800 would probably enjoy it today if they could get away with it. I doubt if human nature is, uh, you know, and takers say, well, probably it has. I said, probably it hasn't.
0: So you don't think we can be socialized to change our, our we can socialize
1: to lie and even avoid doing things we, we enjoy somewhat. Although sometimes we sneak off and do them anyhow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but do I think they really stop liking things? Probably not. I don't think that's that easy to change. Uh, so uh and also sometimes if things have long winded indirect things like you know, people say well I like kids but it says well you have to do certain things to have to have the kids and it helps if you get married before you're 38 yeah. and so forth. People aren't so good. They're good at you know it's the same way like uh, we're we're good at liking being fit but we don't like doing the things that make us fit right. Mm-hmm. And some people have you know enough stick to itiveness to do it and probably most don't. Uh, uh So. uh you know, your likes don't dictate everything you do, particularly if you don't think it all through. I mean, even if logically you should always do A, because it's the only way to get to Z, people can be fooled. and They don't always do the thing that leads to Z. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh how was I? Th- yes, one of the things about this is he said, well, like you shouldn't condemn people for being X because they can't help being X. It's mostly genetic. They just That's who they are. So these are like criminals. I said, but what if I was born – with a tendency to condemn people who are X, <laughs> I can't help condemning them, right? Yeah. Uh, by the way, there's another way of thinking of it, which is: suppose you have a black widow spider. I'm borrowing from a Heinlein novel. Suppose you have a: is it is it fair to blame the black widow spider for being poisonous? Yeah, no. No, he it just is, right? So what do you do with a black widow spider? Yeah, you, you you squash it. Yes. So. Uh, like, you know, in all the things we do about criminals and penalties, we don't explicitly do anything where any of the thinking has to do with any, whether any of this stuff is hereditary or not. Mm-hmm. We, we, I said, I mean, we never do it. But it's a fact. And generally, practical policies work better if you adjust, if you take account of all the facts. Well, this is one where we never, ever do. Like, you know, like, like here's one. I would be against conjugal visits for mass murderers. Am I doing, you see my point? Yes. Uh, uh,
0: or of let's say
1: guys who, and I would be even more like, let's suppose we constructed a polygenic risk score for being a mass murderer. This is tricky because <laughs> we need an awful lot of mass mm-hmm. murders, but let's suppose we did. And let's suppose that we said, not only are you a mass murderer, you are just more naturally born a mass murderer than anyone else we've ever seen. If, we, if you had a kid who was half as, you know, was halfway between you and normal, he'd still be a mess.
0: Well, no, well, you, but let's address this head on. You are talking about
1: eugenics. Sure, which, but the point is, it works. I mean, like, like millions of times, like, every, that, actually, every time somebody mentioned eugenics, they said, this discredited pseudoscience mm. of eugenics. It said, but it works, of course it works. It well, rather, It's it, it done it, properly. It right, works, it, it works better today. It would have worked. The Romans could have run it if they wanted to. It would have been easy, but it's easier today. The reason it wasn't easy is because people fight back, right. and they're a lot better at fighting back than a sheep, and because general, human generations are long. But it says, could you breed for particular qualities? Sure. I mean, What about all the people who say that they didn't? Well, they're dumb or they're lying. None of this is impossible. Every single time anybody says anything about this is impossible, they're just lying. I should mention, and, and Pullman does not mention anything about eugenics. He no, please. he just says, "Well, he's certainly have not endorsed to do it. with questions like eugenics." But of course, it does have something to do with yes. questions like eugenics. But no, that- Pullman has stuck to a particular rule. Now, like when he didn't think enough in my mind about mutations as a cause of deleterious syndromes, I think mm-hmm. that's uh, you're you're not thinking in quite the right way. You can understand it better if you do. I mm-hmm. criticize him not in a hostile way for right. for not clearly thinking that way for not thinking in terms of strategies and and, mm-hmm. and in terms of evolutionary fitness but when he says i won't talk about a b and c because it'll get me fired and when i know that it would would have gotten him fired i'm not criticizing him he's what he said you know what he's implicitly saying i can't talk about that he's right he can't right he would never have gotten any money for a study but the studies all have implications which point in those directions mm-hmm. like like suppose uh i mean for example suppose you were a guy who wanted to have smart kids, which, by the way, is for most people. I think they kind of like it, but it's not a huge question on their mind when they're courting. Right, right. Uh, let's suppose you had two girls. And they had exactly the same grade point, and they had exactly, uh, and they looked alike, and and you know, you liked both of them and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they had the same test scores. But let's suppose in one case you knew a lot about the the mother and father and relatives, and you knew that all of them did well. Yeah. And in the other one. You didn't know it, but they didn't. You know, in other words, she had an unusual combination, and perhaps an unusually favorable microenvironment when she was developing. Mm-hmm. The odds are you'll have smarter kids with the girl whose relatives are all smart. Yeah. And you can compute those odds, and there's you know, there's the probabilities are significantly different. I mean, you could, but it's more likely, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, what you're doing is you're trying to recreate. A highly accurate version of that polygenic risk score. But tomorrow we said, well, hey, you know, the dating service I use, you always have to go through 23andMe. So mm-hmm. you get to see her polygenic risk score for a number of things. Like, you know, Pullman talks about his for a number of things. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he worries a little that his Alzheimer's risk was kind of high, but he said, but, uh, so was that it? Or was it, it was a different thing? No, his schizophrenia risk was kind of high. right. Right, Not his Alzheimer's. And that was comforting, because because he's getting old and Alzheimer's is scary. And and the other thing with schizophrenia, if you haven't, if it hasn't shown up noticeably, it's probably not going to. It's kind of an early onset thing. It's age 18, not age 85. Yeah. Uh, and he said, uh, it says he's had a tendency to gain weight. He said, you know, I have to fight it all the time. He said, You have a tendency to be tall. He said, I'm 6'5. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh most of these things. But by the way, a lot of some of them now and then you can do something about, uh, or you could do something about if you're a hundred times more determined than you actually are. I think it'd um, be
0: really useful to know if you have a high polygenic score for being an alcoholic or a drug addict, because then you could you could perhaps have parents saying, "Look, basically, treat alcohol as something you're allergic to."
1: Uh, and no, it
0: might work on are, some kids. There is
1: truth in that. <laughs> No, I have seen a pattern. I don't know if it's enough to have statistical validity, but I've certainly seen cases of somebody who is a horrible drunk and his kids just won't touch it at all because they're afraid of it. Yeah, and that's
0: very I good mean, strategy. I mean, like
1: my my father's family didn't drink, and I once heard, and this was all, you know, like at this point a hundred years ago, there was somebody there who drank and everybody said, boy, we don't want to be like him. And at this point, I don't even know whether it was on his mother's or his father's side. I mean, you know, the information got lost as yeah. who was supposedly the drunk, but, you know, none of them drank. Mm-hmm. Now, you have to think maybe they weren't the most prone people in the world if none of them even ever had a problem with it considering he had a, you know, there were 11 kids in the family and none of them ever became much of a drinker, but they worried about it. Now, yeah. I would guess, I can think of other people who I think have been, have managed. Well, here's another one. Uh, Like, you know, people who have not, Who historically, their ancestors have not been exposed to alcohol in significant amounts for very long, tend to have higher risk for alcoholism. Mm -hmm. But it's possible to know that. Right. Uh, And for example, Navajo have higher alcoholism, and it looks like it's mostly genetic. You know, the people who have had alcoholism have alcohol available for thousands of years, you know, long-term farmers, they tend to have changes that increase the amount of toxic byproducts either by creating them rapidly or Destroying them slowly. And that Mm -hmm. means that when you drink, you feel lousy, which is nature's way of keeping you from being a drunk. Mm -hmm. And some of these are, like, there's one in China that also makes you flush red. Everybody knows about that one. But there are others. But you have populations which have not been drinking long. They don't have these. Mm -hmm. You know, and so American Indians, particularly ones I would guess outside of Mexico, you know, farming is fairly old in Central America. But let's say in Canada, Mm -hmm. nobody was farming in Canada a thousand years ago yeah some of them were five hundred years ago, just a little bit. It was just starting, but anyway, the mm-hmm. point is they don't have much experience with it, and they get drunk, and there are uh, a lot of Navajo just refuse to drink at all because they're afraid of it, and that works. yeah if you don't drink at all, you can't get in trouble from it uh, uh I mean suppose we invented a new synthetic drug that was addictive to most people, it would still be possible to avoid it by never taking it at all right uh but nobody would at, at first would have any innate defenses against it i mean maybe people would vary a little but nobody would be you know immune to it probably mm-hmm. uh so by the way this is actually an interesting difference between alcohol and something like uh let's say fentanyl
2: mm-hmm.
1: or uh, opiates see because the average person from western europe or china or the middle east has a long history of ancestors who have been, have been drinking some And it doesn't mean they never have any trouble, but fewer of them have trouble. Mm -hmm. And by the way, fewer of them in Southern Europe than Northern Europe, as far as we know, that's because farming is older in Southern Europe than it is in Northern Europe.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, uh, The alcoholism is kind of an Indo-European thing. Uh, So, at any rate, what that means is, like, uh, suppose you were talking about drug X, which historically has never been around before. Mm -hmm. There is no reason to treat it as if it is exactly the same problem as alcohol. It has potentials to be different and possibly worse because nobody has is adapted to it. Nobody's adapted to fentanyl.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I have seen sometimes libertarians who were not fully versed in evolutionary biology, i.e. all of them. <laughs> Most. Uh, no. <laughs> not all. Almost all of them. Yeah. Who would say, well, it's just another drug and people have enough sense to make these decisions by themselves. And the answer is, well, they don't really. Uh, because these things cheat by directly, you know, prying open the reward this, mechanisms of the brain.
0: I mean, that brings up another sort of related point. Like in the rationality community, there, there's a big talk about agency. Like how much control do you have over your life? And the idea is that most of us really don't exercise much agency. We sort of go along with that. And this, this book is really consistent with that, isn't it? That we're not really making decisions. If you, you knew what you're, you know, if you know your DNA, that's, DNA plus randomness is kind of what
1: you're doing. Well, remember when I was talking about the Jim twins, those identical twins who ended up living almost exactly the same life? Right, right. It's That's, an example. But the thing is, uh, well, I mean, look, I, I understand that a lot of the senior members of the rationality community are quite fat. Um,
0: I only interact with them online, so I honestly don't know the answer
1: to that one. I have talked to other people or not. Okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, why? I said probably for the same reasons anybody else's. And you know, Or like a related comment says, I have not yet met the philosopher who could deal with he was trying to give a talk, the fact there was a bird flying around the room. Even if he's a philosopher, he still can't deal with a bird flying around the room when he's trying to give the talk. Now, uh, I want
0: that challenge. I want somebody to release a bird when I'm lecturing. I bet I could deal with it. But anyway. Not if I release the bird.
1: Well, it was attacking me. I couldn't. But it well, was you know, just you, flying around. You, you guess that, huh? I was going to
2: yeah, use well, some, some <laughs> hawk.
1: But uh, you said... I would uh, it, yeah. No, I'll use a trained American eagle. You're not even allowed to hit back against it. <laughs> the uh, But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, typically kind of not. But, you know, there are still people who make decisions that, you know, end up going in different directions. You can have that have personally. But, you know, a lot of times you don't. Like, one of the things to remember is your desires can be your constraints. Like, you so, said, well, I just do what I want. I said, but you, what you want is kind of. Like, you happen to, you don't drink coffee because you don't like the taste of coffee. You like tea because you like the taste of tea. You know, the way you're wired shapes many things. You know, you're chasing, uh you know, let's suppose you like, uh you're attracted to women with a certain look. Or perhaps you have a spectrum and there's a certain range of looks. Or for that matter, there's even two different looks and you like them. But in every case, there's a fair chance that it's because you were wired that way. Mm-hmm. Um uh, and uh, yes, yeah, so that was actually one of the other interesting twin studies. There was a guy who was married to an identical twin, but he had a mistress which was her her twin, which is i mean it sense that strikes me as kind of pointless And certainly if you're looking <laughs> for variety I said, let me guess he he had a type uh yeah, uh, and by the way, those two twins hated each other uh uh but, but, but uh yeah <laughs> but, but, but you, kept, how well, much agency do people have, and the answer is. Uh, not as much as you'd like.
0: And Although if you,
1: if they did, it might be a society that, who knows, maybe it wouldn't work. I don't know. It would be, be different from anybody.
0: You'd want to define agency, right, in a way where a, like a, a small change can make a big difference in your life. You could read something and like, yes, I will now do this. Now, I didn't exercise before, but now I realize its importance from this article. Sometimes you, you know. run into things like but, that. But this book is saying that's kind of rare because then
1: we wouldn't – Well, but it might – he emphasizes, he talks about what is – say, within a certain range of possibilities. But let's suppose, for example, uh, I uh, uh, new options appeared. Well, uh, and you could say, uh, and let's suppose, like, there is a possibility that you could take a ride on a spaceship and start a colony on a new inhabitable world. And with your genetics, it's 50-50, whether you're going to like it or not. Yeah. Well, some people like you will go, and some people won't. And so certainly, you know, that's an area where, Big changes would follow. There are—I mean—there must have been some people who were thinking, "I'm, I'm thinking about going to America, and being a colonist," but I don't know. I mean, they lose a lot of the ships sake.
2: Yeah.
1: and there must have been. There were some people who were so conservative they would never do it, or they were so rich they never needed to take the risk. You know, there was a big payoff. You could get a farm. Yeah. Getting a farm in England was very difficult. Land was finite; it was full. It was not impossible; it was very difficult. But it's easy. In North America, so you're, so you know there was, there's, you're sorting for something, but there also had to be people who are on the edge, who might have gone one way or the other, and you know, and, and if there is such a person, I mean, look, you could gain agency in a sense by flipping a coin. Hmm. At least you reduce predictability. Right. In fact, I was thinking if we made an app, you know, how, you know, an agency, I mean, it isn't really agency, it just makes you less predictable. You get the key life decisions, and then you do whatever it says. Of well, course, only people with certain genetics will do whatever. The, oh the, yes?
0: Yeah, the way you're supposed to do it is like have something that goes off at a random period and then really think of whatever you're doing. If you're doing laundry, like, okay, am I using the right detergent? Should I be sending my laundry out? And just you know, if you're driving to work, think, Okay, have I mapped out my route correctly? So just give a lot of thought to whatever you happen to be doing when the buzzer goes off and make but, a conscious rational decision.
1: Uh but uh most people don't do it much. I mean and yeah. you know, watching the watching the rationality community, I was saying I know all sorts of interesting things where I don't see them seeking out the unpleasant truth.
2: Yeah. Not
1: I, whole areas, and you know some of them. Uh by the way, some of them do. Some of them do to an extent, and I, I know that too, but most don't. Uh the uh let alone all the normal irrationality communities. Uh but uh and actually, I, I think the Bay Area is a more, more place for independent thought because too many people, you know, you can have variations in how much people step on you, you know, how, if, how much they enforce. Uh, and some of it has to do with the technological. Like if you're an independent farmer, there's ways, you know, and, and you can't be fired for shooting your mouth off. You know, there's still other things that can happen. People might not invite you to parties. They might not want their kids to marry yours. But you are freer. And this this is what Jefferson always was talking about. If you were if you were independent in your means, I mean, it didn't mean you have to didn't have. To, he was also saying if you don't have to work. But but most people were saying if you just don't have to have a boss. Right. If people liked it and they were freer to shoot their mouth on. I mean, they're not necessarily right, but they're freer to have independent opinions. And today, and there's probably no place where it's worse than the Bay Area, where you know you they want you to have the same opinions as everybody else on an ever increasing range of things. Yeah, I fully yeah. expect somebody to start arguing about what's the permissible kind of you know ways to clip your toenails or something. <laughs> uh and it it's ever expanding. Uh, and the other thing is, in my my opinion, in few cases, is the is the consensus a very reasonable one. Uh the uh but like here's something again I was fine. I I disagree with a few things. I disagree with the idea that it's not really meaningful to think of mental illness as a separate category from normality. I think it is. Mm-hmm. I think it's things that have gone wrong in a fitness sense. Although some mental illnesses could be the extreme of a real strategy. Like, for example, why would you talk about somebody who was so jealous his wife was scared of him and was afraid that if she had an affair with somebody else, he would kill her?
0: Right. That's an evolutionary... By the way, it,
1: I'm not saying he's mm-hmm. done it. Right, like, right. Suppose he is somebody who's clearly quite jealous, but that's a strategy that works. Right, right. And he's like our, like you know, when the psychiatrists and stuff they come up with their list of mental illnesses, you can have things that aren't mental illnesses, but they can be labeled as such because we don't like them. Like mm-hmm. here's one: what if you had a guy in the Russian army in 1942, and it was very clear he was trying to figure out some way to not get up in the front of the battle? Yeah. That's- well, he said, "Was well, something wrong with you?" I mean, like we talked about psychoneurosis for guys in the American army who didn't want to get shot. And and oddly enough, they, they tended to be, you know, by the way, some of them really were crazy. but Most of them were perfectly happy in civilian life. Mm-hmm. Why? Because nobody was, they weren't going to get killed. They weren't crazy. But we labeled such as such this, well, because a true mature person would love going out there into machine gun fire. I said, no, they wouldn't. Right. I said, it's hard to get people to do it. Uh, the people who are hiding and screaming—they may be the only sane ones here. Uh, but we labeled it as such. I mean, if you had a war that had a lot of general support, people thought you're supposed to be patriotic, etc. People, you know, will put labels on things that may not be accurate in an evolutionary well, we, sense.
0: We do that a lot socially, where there's something we kind of know a lot of people want to do it, but we label it as a bad thing, and you're not supposed well, like, to want one. to. Well,
1: here's one. Suppose somebody found a 15-year-old girl. A tr- oh. sexually attractive Okay, well, that, I think that's right. an actual right yes. but it's historically been probably not too far from the age of marriage at least in many cultures
0: uh, yeah although right. there's the argument that girls mature faster now so what we would like a 15 year old what we would a girl that looks 15 year old
1: to us would look like 22 it depends. And like, for example tribe. she was a nobleman's daughter and had just as much to eat as somebody today she might well look exactly that way at 15 as a fifteen year old American girl would. I mean she might not have had quite as many, you know, oranges in the winter. Yeah. But, you know, her diet would have been much better. And yeah, you might see more cases of people getting involved in sex and stuff the nobles kids be because they matured. And it could be several years earlier in some cases. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, when you uh with women, it's really amount of fat deposits it sort of determines the timing. That mm-hmm. plus genetic variations. And I've heard of places where the average time of uh of Menarchy was as old as seventeen in Sweden back in the day. So yeah, it 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 could vary. And the other thing is we're talking about another interesting variation. I found intelligence attractive in girls Mm on a sequel. And most people don't really. I mean not hugely. Certainly and most
0: women think that – most women who consider themselves intelligent think that most men find it to be a negative trait. That, I, that kind of surprised me when I found that out from a bunch of women. I know that's true,
1: but I think it might be close to a neutral trait. And from their point of view, that's enough. You see, because most women like to have interest in guys who are at least as socially prominent, successful, etc., as them. Right. In some cases, it would be as smart as them. And the point is if you want somebody smarter than you and they're only – And they're like, suppose you have a woman who's pretty smart. The number of men who are smarter than her, there are some. There's not a huge number of them because they're, it's just rare. Okay. So all of a sudden her her dating pool has shrunk. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, but they're not super interested in her. They're interested in the whole, let's say the whole top 25% or the top 10% instead of the top, you know, they don't have to be higher than them, for example. Well, then maybe they'd end up getting married less, which they do. Right. Uh, uh, And it's even worse that they said, if he said, "Well, it's really important that I build a career," and I said, "Why? <laughs> you think you'll starve to death if you don't? You think people will marry you more if you do? You think it'll make you happier? Uh, you think you, you know you'll be able to buy the kids you want?" I said, "I suppose you could adopt them. Uh, it depends what you enjoy, but you know, it's something people do. Like the average fairly successful career woman has very few children. Mm-hmm. I was looking at some numbers. You know, they probably had some threshold. You had to be at least." You know, some sort of company director, which is a high threshold. I think the average number of kids there was under one.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, so, uh, or if you looked at people with Harvard MBAs, I would doubt. For men, it's probably, I wouldn't be surprised if they had higher than average. Again, because male fertility is not so time limited. Right. And also because it doesn't take, like, you can have six kids and the total amount of time you spent with their mother could have been six hours. <laughs>
3: yes.
1: Uh, less. Uh, but uh uh it's innately it's you know, that's the way it is. But yeah, that's the, one thing Pullman does not talk much about and it's just as well because he has enough trouble already. I mean, the things he talks about and you know, that are generally thought negatively of that but they're facts. You know, things like class differences in intelligence, things like the fact that it's strongly heritable, the, the facts like it's hard to change. Like mm. he says you know, like, every kid can do X. The answer is, no, they can't. Yeah. And I've seen long-winded things about that that just struck me as crazy. Look, like, I thought most of this was true a long time ago. Some of them, the literature, some of them, just that's kind of how the world looked to me.
0: i, so, I found that, too, from this book. I mean, it, it sort of confirmed things that I'd already heard from basically
1: you know, well, twin and adoption
0: oh, studies. I read, okay.
1: yeah, I've read some of these papers and things. Uh, so more than, but even before I had, I haven't always read them. Uh, I was not surprised at the idea that people were uh, – my, my, one thing I pointed out a long time ago is that suppose you have a, a, a small town or an old neighborhood where people know each other. It's easier to see trends if you know, say, both parents and children. Mm-hmm. So if you said – uh you know, if you're in another place, would say a new suburb, people have moved there. They haven't been there forever. They, uh It's large. Not everybody knows each other. Uh, you, these trends are not as obvious. For example, I was taking a geometry course when I was – a sophomore in high school. And my teacher says, Well, you'll do well. I said, How do you know? He said, Because I knew your mother. I taught mm-hmm. your mother. And my mother was, did very well in all her courses. She was valedictorian of high school. Uh, and he thought, Well, you know, you'll probably do well too. Mm-hmm. And he, now it's not a hundred percent predictor. It depends where the father is and so forth. And it depends whether I got dropped in my head and other things. Uh, but it's, it's not, it's, it has some validity. Whereas there are lots of people who are taught in school that no such things exist at all. And then when they try, they, uh, you know, like if I do X, these kids from background X will do just as well. But they don't. Yeah, it is cruel
0: to tell kids that, you know, you can achieve anything if you work at it. Because that, given that it's not true, you have to say, well, you were lazy because you didn't achieve it. When well, it's a,
1: Of course, have we no have whole... to. We have to do artificial augmentation of IQ by hooking this you to this supercomputer, taking these drugs, using CRISPR. Yeah. You know, when people say things can't be done, they're always saying within the universe of methods we use. Right. I mean, there might, for all I know, there is some method that could take kids, you know, whose genetic potential, by the way we could measure it, isn't very high and make them do far better than they do now. But nobody knows what it is. I mean, not knowing how to do something is not exactly the same as saying it can never be done anywhere until the end of time. But we certainly don't know how to do it. We have many... And I remember there was one sentence he dismisses about six of these at once, which I thought well of him for. It says, you can't do it with, uh, you can't do it with 10,000 hours of work and you can't do it with, uh, uh, by the way, they used to call it positive thinking. Now it's growth mindset, mm-hmm. but it's the same thing and it's not true. Carol Dweck is full of crap. <laughs> uh, it's power posing won't do it. I think that's one of the funny oh. ones. If you just stand, in a way that you look kind of awkward. That'll make people, you know, think you're powerful or or. or gee, I wonder if there's a smart pose. Maybe you sit like the, you know, the Rodin statue, statue, of the thinker, well, and put your chin on your well. Uh,
0: well that's, I mean, that gets into the replication crisis in psychology. Do we have to be worried about the quality of the work that went into this book?
1: That people it have tried, it all replicates. It's all been done three times. The general reason that's true is they were finding out things people didn't want to hear. Uh. The problem with psychology is almost all of it is, is things people wanted to believe. Now, by the way, sometimes emotionally, but sometimes just because it would be interesting and would mean I would get some attention. Mm -hmm. You know, some of these things I don't think are deeply connected to politics or your view of the world or fears about, you know, some of them are just, wouldn't it be interesting if that were true? The answer is yeah, but it probably isn't. Most things are. So, you know, some of the social psychology replication was stuff that wasn't very ideological. And it just, you know, sounded fun. Like if I talk about, you know, glaciers, everybody will walk more slowly or something. Yeah, but they don't. But, you know, I don't see any ideological implication if they did, okay, Uh, or how, you know, that would change everything. Uh, But most of it, but a lot of it was ideological. And to the extent it was, it was probably every bit of it false, so a lot of people don't want – they want to believe that school X or variation of school method X, this kind of teacher, it will make the kid smarter. What do you think made those other kids smart? Isn't that what made Newton smart? start a special – the answer is there's never been any evidence for any of this. But they would. But there was this evidence that could be misinterpreted. They'd say, well, look, he sent his kid to a private school. That's why he's smart. I said he made enough money to send his kid to a private school because he's a successful professional X. Which means he's moderately smarter than average,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but he's not real super smart. But he's but but again, it's still heritable, and his it shows up in his kids. But but by the way, it doesn't show up infinitely because like people say, well, think how smart Group X is. I said, well, if you say 135, the answer is almost certainly not because there aren't many people above 135. So no common profession can mostly be people. I said, yeah. like, our lawyers mostly have IQs of 135 or higher. No. Some do. Can it be most? No, because there aren't that many people in the whole country. Like, or, or you know, I may have the wrong number, maybe 145. But, yeah, there you can't have lots of – and also another thing. Suppose you hear about somebody. We think he's got an IQ of 170. A priori, your Bayesian estimates. No, he isn't. Why? Yeah. Because hardly anybody is. Unless he's a uh,
0: theoretical physicist, you should be suspicious.
1: That would be high for a theoretical physicist. But it wouldn't be ridiculous. Uh, but, uh, but well, you know, like one thing is, like there are websites and things. People talk about the IQs of past presidents. Well, most of them never took a test. Now, mm-hmm. I suspect if you looked at the, the intellectual product of somebody and the, and you could that it was really him that wrote it. Mm-hmm. And then you worked up some, uh, you know, some estimates of, you know, how can we relate, like the complexity of what he wrote or – various things like that. Maybe you can make some sort of estimate. I don't really think people have quite done this, but but as at other times you just said, yeah, let's admit it. Everybody knows he was smart as a tack, somebody like Jefferson. Even if you couldn't trust him as far as you could throw him, he was everybody knew it. Well, okay.
0: Well since people are continually like giving off their DNA, it'd be pretty easy to get the DNA of people running Maybe. for president.
1: And we could make, but I'm also thinking. I'm right now. I'm thinking of history. How would you tell about the past? But I want to say people make estimates. The estimates are transparently ridiculous. And it says my guy was smart. The other guy, not my guy, was not smart. That's it. I mean, like I was reading one recently. They had an estimate of the IQ of JFK at 152. And I said, Yeah, fuck me. Uh, I said, and I said, and also, see, he's one of the few people where we actually have a recorded IQ test.
2: Mm-hmm. What was it? I
1: think. 116 and 118. The two times he took it when he was in prep school. Well,
0: if your IQ is too high, you'll have trouble communicating with most people, won't
1: That's you? That's what certain low IQ people say. Yes.
0: You don't. You don't agree with that? I don't I mean, know just, any real.
1: It's something somebody said. I've never heard is. the evidence it was true. Then why aren't
0: most of our presidents least over 145 IQ?
1: Because there's so few people above 145.
0: But. There's, there's a lot. I mean, what? there's a large number. It's just it's a percentage. It's small, but there's certainly you know, given our population size, oh. so it's, so it's one in a thousand. So I mean, how yeah, about
1: that? Well, one in a thousand is enough to really. The thing is, and since we don't purely rank them on IQ, as you may have noticed, well, yeah, they uh, uh, all you have to do is be better at other things that are more important, and and since the average person who is better at those other things is somebody who has a lot lower because, you know, we're talking against one in a thousand. Uh, you, you may seldom see it. Like, I, I would not be surprised if Jefferson was above one in a thousand, thousand. But most people have not been. By the way, a fair number of them were actually pretty smart guys. And some of them were not so smart. But, uh, I claim it is incredibly difficult just by reading them and hearing what they talk to get at least a, an impression. But most people seem to be very bad at that. Uh, very, very bad at that. Uh, and I don't know why. And maybe I'm kidding myself and thinking I can do so. But and maybe I'm cheating. I already have other information. Like I said, I mean, I've always thought this friend of mine was pretty smart. I said, does the fact you already knew he got his PhD from math in math from Caltech at 24 shape your estimate? I said, of course. Yeah. But not as much as working with him, where he was always coming up with clever things. Uh, I think. I mean, if he, if he never did, I wouldn't have said the same things that I said. Uh, but, uh, it may, but I, I think I, maybe I'm better, but a lot of these people aren't trying. When they were talking with Kennedy, I said, Christ, Kennedy wasn't terribly smart. It showed all the time. Uh, uh, I've read stuff. He said, you know, you could tell there were whole long winded arguments where you never never knew what they were talking about at all.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: uh. Or, I've, I've, you know, like somebody was looking at his, his application letter for Harvard. It sounds it's like from an eight year old. Although, again, standards were lower than you wasn't and he probably didn't write it. I mean, very likely. <laughs> Any more than he wrote Profiles in Courage. Yeah. Any more than he, you know, uh, uh, which was Ted Sorensen. Uh, the, uh, so, uh, but, uh, yeah, but, you know, but people are terrible at it. I mean, I can think of people I don't agree with, but I said, yeah, the guy's smart. Uh, I mean there's he's he solved quite difficult problem X, Y, and Z. I mean, he's smart. Mm. Uh uh there's other people, I said, he makes simple mistakes in his logic and gets basic things in his own area wrong. But see the average part of his reporters are are even less smart. They're not very good at well, like here's a here's an example. And this is a guy who I think probably is a pretty decent human being. I've never heard anything otherwise. Uh Tom Bradley. No, not Tom Bradley, what's what I'm thinking. This is a guy that they were, he went to Princeton. Bill Bradley? Bill Bradley, yes. Uh, they were talking about running him for president.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and he was a senator, and I don't think that he raved every moment he spoke or anything. I mean, I doubt if I agreed with him, but, you know, he was, you know, he looked like a reasonable human being. And I also never heard anything bad about it, like he went around kicking cats in his spare time or, you know, uh, you know, handed his, uh, you know, was, you know, was tormenting his, like, what, was, uh, sitting around, hanging around with his, uh, you know, texting his girlfriend while he was in the mm. emergency, in the room while his wife is giving birth. Uh, I was thinking of a certain movie star who was doing this, and even his girlfriend saying, you shouldn't be doing this. You should be paying attention to her <laughs> while she's having your baby. <laughs> and I remember thinking, you know, well, that says something for his taste in mistresses, that she's not as much of a prick <laughs> as he is. But at any rate, uh, but uh, Bradley... Got, I think, 450 on his verbal SAT.
2: Mm-hmm. And what's he that? He was.
1: 500 is dead average.
0: Ah, so he was below average.
1: Well, for college bound people. Maybe he had an idea yeah. of 100. He yeah. wasn't very smart. And by the way, he said, well, maybe this doesn't pick it up. I said, the people who knew him better said, no, it's, uh, that's pretty much right. <laughs> I mean, and they didn't say he's an idiot, he's constantly making stupid life decisions and stuff, because I don't think he did. But he wasn't terribly smart. And with reporters, maybe it's very superficial, but I've never seen reporters show the slightest understanding of any of this, or rather, you know, few reporters. Uh, I mean, again, they all say, well, the discredited suicides of eugenics, it works perfectly, what's your problem? (laughs) Uh, I mean, can we predict in a useful way? Could we breed for people who are more intelligent or funnier or prettier? We could do any of those things. We don't, uh, but we could. And we probably have accidentally – you know, because of life being different in different parts of the world at different times. We've, like, I would not be surprised, as I said, if Eskimos were just kind of cautious about mm-hmm. things, about, in a world where unpredictable danger was fairly common, mm-hmm. uh, to where the fraction of people who were killed by their way of making a living, as opposed to killing, like another set of people, they're probably more cautious about running into an enemy tribe. Eskimos had some of that, but they had more of this just life danger from the, you know, right. from the weather. Um uh, so I mean, could that vary? I said, sure, it probably has. Uh or at other things. Uh I mean we certainly know that there's been, you know, evolutionary change in response to everything else. Why not changes in culture? But uh but people are reporters, A, they are sort of ideologically don't believe it, and I don't think they actually know. I read a book. Uh, and this was a guy who later wrote some books that people are interested in. I'm trying to remember his name. He was a Wall Street Journal reporter. But he wrote a book about a kid who was going to some high, a black kid going to a high school in Washington, D.C. And everybody said, this is, this kid's gonna, he's gonna succeed. He works hard. He's decent. He mm-hmm. does the best in his class. Uh, he wants to go to MIT and we're all cheering for it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, his uh, combined SAT was a thousand. Mm-hmm. He's dead average. Yeah. Now MIT. Uh, this is irrelevant to what I said about whether IT makes you better. It's still hard. Right. And it was too hard for him. And he went. They had a special summer camp uh, in which they were trying to help uh, minority groups get into MIT, prepare them, sort of a mm-hmm. prep camp. And he went, but he it was he wasn't up. He couldn't he, he couldn't absorb calculus that easily. Yeah. Well. Uh and. Uh, he, and you needed to, okay? So, uh, by the way, the star of that camp was a kid who was one 128th Pottawatomie Indian. Mm-hmm. For some reason. At any rate, uh, a credit to his tribe, I think. Uh, but, uh, but the, the guy kept writing He says, well, you know, he could make it, he could make it. I said, there are many things he could do, but succeeding in engineering at, at uh, MIT is probably not one of them. Why would you think anything else? And, it's just strange. There was another thing like this. David Plotz, who used to run Slate, right? He managed to find some of the people who are in this attempt. The results of this attempt at eugenics. having I mean, originally oh, I that the Nobel paper. Prize. Yeah. Nobel. yeah. Now he found his suggestion reasonable. Was you know they don't feel like we you know they promise not to reveal identities if people don't want it, and that's fair. Mm-hmm. And he didn't try to get them, and that was right. But uh, he said, "But if people want to talk to me." You know, now that I mentioned the it, place where many people might see it on the internet, I'd be interested in seeing what how it worked out in the cases where you know people feel like talking about. it. So we got to talk to I don't know twenty of them or something, mm-hmm. and none of the fathers were Nobel Prize winners, but they tended to be guys who were very accomplished. Yeah. And guess what their kids were like? Very yeah, more accomplished than average. Now I think they had one negative because I figure their mothers were nuts, uh, <laughs> or at least highly unusual for picking this path. Right, I mean the only conformists be, at least. The, the kind of a reasonable case would be is they were married, they wanted kids, and the father was infertile.
2: Right.
1: Then going to this one wouldn't have been too crazy, although it still would have been unconventional. Yeah. But, you know, I'm just a single mom. I'm just going to find some incredibly smart person to be the father and never never hear from him or anything. Hmm. It's probably silly as well as unconventional. At any rate, those kids were on average much – they were doing much better than average. I must have averaged at least a, in many traits, at least a couple standard deviations above average. But Potts wasn't convinced. Nothing on earth would have ever convinced him because he didn't want to. He knew this would have, you know, he knew about the, uh, discredited pseudoscience, of eugenics, but it worked perfectly well. It, you know, like there are people who are probably immune to this. Dog breeders, horse breeders, mm-hmm. uh, uh, professional animal gen. By the way, all sorts of geneticists would tell you it was impossible. Now, the better ones would be lying. Now, like, suppose we ask Paul, right, with this, uh, here's here's a, a imaginary thing. This is sort of based on, like, that Heinlein story. In mm-hmm. that Heinlein story, we had a guy who made a lot of money, but people in his family aged rapidly. He died young. He left a huge fortune to a foundation whose goal was to breed people To live longer.
0: Yeah, time enough to love, yes.
1: Right. Uh, The first installation was uh, uh, Methuselah's Children was the name of it. Uh, Back long ago. Back. See, there were all sorts of things people knew in the 30s if you read a book that you're not supposed to know now. One of them was about people didn't know as many genetic details of heritability, but they knew exactly how to do it because they bred animals and plants all the time and it wasn't generally forbidden to know it. Okay, yeah. so in this Heinlein story, what they do is they try to find people who have ancestors that have lived unusually long. Mm-hmm. That's how, because obviously you can't wait till the guy himself is unusually old because it's too late. So you pick, and then you bribe them to Marry women with similar heredities, and then you would try to find their descendants. This is running over a long period. And then you're, you're paying, you're inducing people. You're not compelling anybody, but you're saying, if you do this, you know, like we'll have enough money, all your kids will get scholarships to college. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. You'll, you'll, you'll be a lot more comfortable. And, and we give you a list of people, not just one person. All you have to do is just, why don't you date one and see if you like them? All right. No, no, you know, Heinlein, was something of a libertarian in a complicated, confused way, strongly influenced by whoever he happened to be married to at the time Mm. because he was once a left libertarian and then he was a right libertarian after he had to get rid of the first wife because she was crazy. Uh, but, uh, But at any rate, the point is, would this work? And the answer is, well, sure it would. Now how fast it would work would depend upon how heritable heritable lifespan is, and it is some, but it's not as heritable as height or IQ. So it would take longer to change, but you can do mm-hmm. it, and people have done it with experimental animals. They'd bred fruit flies that live four times as long as a regular one. Mm-hmm. Now they sort of take a trade off. They I think they mature more slowly. And I think they have fewer offspring, but still, you know, some. Yeah. But yes, it's doable. I said, could you do this with people if you were a dictator and had unlimited time? He said, sure you could. Could you bring people to be smarter? Sure you could.
0: But now it's worth waiting for CRISPR, right? We're probably close enough to
1: I don't know that. How about well, something we're doing tomorrow? Let's suppose you had a young person who was looking to get married and have a family. What could he do today other than wait for CRISPR? Which by the way could easily be at a point where, you know, he's forty or fifty. Which well is embryo, embryo selection or,
0: embryo selection, we have that already. I mean, you, I don't know. I
1: if it's been done using these – but it could be done yeah. using, using these uh, genetic risk scores. Right. It probably could. Uh, it's expensive and a pain in the butt for the woman. That's certainly uh, so you know, true. But, but let, let's just be old-fashioned. What could you do without that? And the answer is you'd be looking for somebody who had the qualities you wanted, had unusual amounts of them, and whose whole family did because you can estimate better how much of it is genetic by looking at the patterns that are relative's. But this was all something you could have done hundreds of years ago, maybe thousands. But I don't think there's any evidence anybody ever systematically did. Mm-hmm. I know there are people who say certain people did, but I've never found any evidence it was true. Like, I can find evidence people said, well, Jews made sure that they wanted to marry the most famous scholar. I said, mm-hmm. like, I said, mention, mention one of them. I said, like, you know, you mean like Gershaw or Well, no, but you know, he married, uh, his, he had only a daughter who survived. What about this one? Well, no he was kind of poor. I started going, and I can't find any actual examples of the pattern they're talking about, but if they gave them to me, I would look. Mm-hmm. But it's, part of it is, look, Jewish IQ is higher than average, but there is no group, by the way, that is in general more opposed to every single point of Polman's book than Jews. <laughs> uh, I mean, they're, no ethnic group. You can find occupational groups that were more opposed right. to it. But they don't like it. Uh And, uh, they're not right now fanatical practitioners of it, because i you know they there's a lot of outmarriage. and I don't think mostly um uh, most of the time people are not you know you have some powerful rich guy who can make many choices, he doesn't say, "I have to have her, that girl is so smart yeah. I mean it could happen. Have you ever heard of an example well I mean I haven't
0: heard I really don't know many examples of how rich
1: people choose their mates so. Well, you read about it in the tabloids because they're quite comical in many cases. I mean, not marry actresses. I mean, this is sort of the opposite of marrying for brains. Uh, I mean, you know they do. I mean, I uh, I know of no sign that they're you know raiding the study dorm for wives. Uh, I know of no sign that they're picking all the valedictorians. I have. I can't really think of a single example. I mean, did Bill Gates marry somebody else as smart as him?
0: No. Well, I, yeah, I don't know how smart
1: his wife is. You remember that little paperclip thing that would yes. always be nagging at you? Yes, yeah. That you wanted to strangle if it had just had a neck? <laughs> that was her project.
0: Well, that, she so must have been reasonably myself. smart to have gotten to that point in Microsoft. I mean,
1: Perhaps she was unwise since everybody I knew hated that paperclip. Uh And I don't see a lot of paper clips around nagging us today. The uh, she's also involved involved in a number of projects uh, with the Gates Foundation, and all of them assume that every line in this book by Plowman is wrong. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, we will try to uh, uh, like we'll try smaller schools because they'll probably, you know, maybe schools have three hundred people in them rather than a thousand. It'll make a big difference. What difference did it make? It didn't make any difference. Or we'll try to get, you know, to get teach a higher fraction of teachers that pass certain qualification things. Basically, you're trying to get smarter teachers. They
0: also do some things with like malaria prevention, where they're among the most effective charity, though. So,
1: well, if they ever get it to work, I don't think they quite have yet. You know, there are different ways to go wrong. One is to try things that had never had a chance, but it's possible to try things that are worthy but are a little too difficult for the for what we know. Mm -hmm. I'm not. By the way, if they get a working malaria vaccine, I'll take my hat off to them. It's, a, it's an important thing.
0: But I think so they far, are already. They're contrib- I mean, they're contributing it, a lot of money to a malaria er- eradication effort, so they are doing a lot. Well, that's a separate thing than the more.
1: vaccine. The vaccine is the yeah. one that could be just too difficult for our skills at this time. But I like to contrast it with the early days of the Rockefeller Foundation. And they – I think they must – well, maybe it was a riper time. They hired better, but they had knocked it out of the park repeatedly. They did work that was fantastic that nobody else was going to do. And they did it three or four ways. Uh, they were largely responsible responsible for eradi- largely eradicating hookworm in the South, a part of the United States. That's a very valuable thing to do. They, but also in pure research, they would do things like, you know, you're working at a problem. It's very difficult. It's just on the edge of what we could do. You have as long as you ha- want to work on it. That was Trying to find the chemical basis of heredity. Most people said, well, it's got to be protein, right? It's always protein. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: But there were some hints that it was not, that it might be nucleic acids. Mm -hmm. There was a way you could take a killed bacterium that had a certain characteristic, and if you mixed it in with related bacterium that did not have that characteristic, some of them would pick it up. The question is, what's being transferred? And it didn't look like protein. And they gave this job to Oswald Avery Mm -hmm. and some of his colleagues, and they spent the next 15 years beating the question to death because you know the tools were just barely adequate to try to find is it protein or not and mm-hmm. they showed that dna is the material of heredity mm-hmm. it is like the most important discovery happened during the time of the nobel prizes that didn't get a nobel prize in fact it's far more important than most of the ones that did why he didn't get it i don't really know mm-hmm. uh but uh anyhow i think that if you incorporated the sort of things that are known in this book, uh, many of our social policies would be different because our policies usually explicitly assume that every statement in this book is false. Hmm. You know, we can make anybody be anything. Anybody can be anything. So uh, if, this, if we accepted
0: this and we would probably spend a lot less on government programs and maybe give the money, just give money to people, have basic income.
1: Maybe we'd, find, maybe we'd look for other things that do work. Like when I said the things we're trying don't work. That's not the set of all things. Right. Uh, there is room to think about other things. Uh, like what if we found another thing like iodine deficiency, but we hadn't recognized it? That could have a huge payoff. I mean, I don't it, – it's not obvious, but that doesn't mean there aren't other things.
0: Well, what, here's my my guess. guess Whatever that? Adderall helps with, that's the deficiency that would increase people's ability to learn. I mean, Adderall – I doubt it. I mean, really? I, I think – I guess well, is Adderall no is
1: effective. I have yeah. no experience with it, no personal, personal experience. I know that there's vast differences in how different countries hand it out. Mm. Uh, I mean, uh, like it's handed out a lot less in England than the United States. Diagnoses of ADHD are rare as as head's teeth in England, and they're very common here. Like There's places, you can have a school where 10% of the, of the boys are diagnosed with ADHD, and that never happens in England. And I, it's differences in diagnostics. And also, they hand out a lot more Adderall here than we do there. But I'll tell you, on things like peas and stuff, they don't do worse. Comparable students probably do a little bit better, not much. Uh, but, uh, I mean, by the way, there's all sorts of interesting implications to this. Uh, I said, suppose you, you know, you have a particular profession is on average, uh, smarter or dumber because, mm. Those are the character, or perhaps more patient. You know, it could depend on what the requirements of the job are, or the requirements of the path to the job. But if, if, for example, you took a group of people from that profession and then started a colony with them, they'd be different from the average human race. Now, that's one, like, to what extent have, have founder effects ever been important in shaping what people are like in different places. Uh, I heard somebody make an estimate recently that the people who were looking to take a chance and make things better, An awful lot of the people in Scandinavia like that moved to the United States. Uh, So Scandinavians are more conformist now. Perhaps than they were in 1800. It doesn't strike me – I mean I don't think that's proved, but it's not implausible. And one of the things you need is you need a big fraction of the total population to move to make a very big shift. And in that case, it's about a third. Mm -hmm. That's a big fraction. Yeah. Uh, uh, So things – or I mean other things like that could happen. I don't think they very often did. Uh, So, for example, Charles Murray was once suggesting the root of Jewish intelligence is only the elite were taken to Babylon in captivity. I said, yeah, you had, I said, of course, the elite included the entire army. You really think, you know, that was a super selected group? Uh, What you didn't take is, you know, some of the dirt farmers. And for all I know, when you came back after, you all married with them anyhow, because one way you can tell they must not have is things in the Old Testament telling people to stop doing that. You know, when you have a lot of things where the preacher spent a lot of time telling people to stop doing X, it's not because they never; it never happens. It's because it happens all the time. Uh, Or for that matter, you know, since we now know more about Jewish genetics, who are the main ancestors of Ashkenazi Jews? Not anybody in the Middle East. They are part of it, but they're about 40%. Mm -hmm. It's mostly Europe. So something that's supposed to have happened in the Babylonian captivity wouldn't have... If there was something that happened, it would have happened less with the Ashkenazi Jews than any other Jewish group, mm-hmm. but it happened more with the Ashkenazi Jews than any other Jewish groups. so that theory is wrong. uh I think I once suggested to Charles that he did this just to show how independent-minded he was at the AEI. <laughs> That's a joke uh,
0: okay.
1: uh the uh but uh by the way, they once invited me to give a talk. About the D- uh, you know Jewish uh, selection hypothesis, mm-hmm. but I did go. Oh, why not? Because I was afraid I would lose control and kill all of them. <laughs> yeah, is that what,
0: because of what they did? In, because of what they advocated for in Iraq, or
1: uh, among other things? But that, as much as anything, I said, you are the stupidest mutants that ever walked the oh, earth, God. and I would be happy to personally beat up every one of you. And um, they're
0: one of the few groups where you would deface threats of violence from the audience.
1: <laughs> I figure they'd all run. I could take them off one at a time. Uh, I wouldn't worry too much about most of the groups that do threaten violence because I don't think they're very fucking good at it. I, particularly, I mean, but I might cheat. I might send my oldest son. Although he's kind of mild-mannered, but that's good because then he would never start it. But I'll tell you, he wouldn't have a whole lot of trouble in finishing it. I mean, but these guys are not terribly good at this stuff. That's been a historical trend. Like, for example, we had a lot of left-wing people who got extreme in the 60s, early 70s and would do things like – I mean, the people doing it were mostly left-wing, very extreme by the time we were talking about planting a bomb, a small group of people. But those same people were not technically very competent. Mm. So they were more likely to kill themselves than other people, which is good, but it is a sign of incompetence. Uh, You know, like that Greenwich Village village townhouse where they were building a bomb. I think they blew up, what, two guys were working with the bomb, and they had to find shreds of them. Somebody else was killed by the concussion. I think it only killed three. I remember two others had their clothes blown off and escaped and went underground for a while. But I I remember guys who blew his own hands off. You know, they they Mm -hmm. weren't very good. They weren't any of them engineering majors, which is funny. Why would that be? Uh, But they were. They tended to be liberal artsy. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, any rate, the uh, 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 but yeah, I I was invited to AEI, but I thought you know that it would be bad if I killed them all. So yes, I I I think there's even a law about
0: it. Uh, There probably is, although under the Clinton administration, they might not have enforced it.
1: So uh, well, there's also many states have a rule that vermin, or you know, like there's a season; only certain weeks of the year are you allowed to hunt deer. Yeah. Over certain weeks are you allowed to hunt quail, but in some states vermin are always in season.
0: I okay. I like the AEI overall, so I
1: don't agree with this uh,
0: assessment. But
1: uh I think they've been a bad influence on everything involving pop foreign policy and I don't think they've been a good influence on anything else. For example, uh on educational stuff, everybody's a bad influence because I mean, the most you can say is some people say, Let's not spend the money. Right. But even they don't understand what's going on, as well as a dog breeder.
0: Well, you, yeah, you can't – But I mean, you can't talk honestly about this in the public sphere, unfortunately. I mean, maybe this book will slightly change it, if it will inform uh, intellectuals. It like
1: pulls a couple of punches, but not – but, you know, there are certainly things he says that people don't want to hear. No. I mean, I, some of them, I think people are more sensitive in England than here. Like, like, if you talk about average IQ differences in classes, which he's talking about a little, more in mm. – but, but he, he definitely thinks they're there, and they are there, and that their hair, and they explain why, you know, again, the kids of the lawyers are more likely to pass a high bar than the kids of the non lawyer. But, mm. uh, uh, and people may be irritated at that in England. I think historically there's been more.
0: Yeah, they're more class conscious there, than we are.
1: Both positively and negatively. But, uh, uh, but, you know, the whole logical thing, everything, you know, the, well, there's a lot of obvious implications. Let's say that shared family environment doesn't make much difference on how you well you do in school. Right, which we can define that
0: shared family environment the as things, the environment the that siblings. The things that happen
1: in the family that all yeah. the kids experience. Right. Okay. Uh It doesn't have much influence. Like if you, you know, you you try you read a lot to the kids, it doesn't make that much difference compared to what their genetics are in the end. Right. Okay. All right. Uh, well. He says, and this is responsible for, you know, why is it that highly educated people, their kids do better? I said, it's mostly because they share those genes that help you be highly educated. It's Mm -hmm. not much because of the education from the parents rubbing off on the kids, even though they often try. You're trying. I've tried. Yeah, definitely. But I'll tell you, I never believed it would work, (laughs) which makes me unusual. Yeah. Rather... I thought they might do well, but I didn't think it would be because of my reading to him. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I had I took this stuff seriously more than most people. Like, did I try to send my kid to a uh, you know to a, a, a difficult to get into school with a high threshold? I said no, I said, because I don't think it matters much.
0: Well, let me give you a question. I mean, my son, I think he has the potential of being an excellent computer programmer, and he is working right now. He's he's thirteen and he's working on programming. And if he does become a programmer. Like doing programming throughout his teenage years, I'm guessing that would make him a better one as an adult.
1: Well, I can tell you a similar story. One of my twins, uh, he got exposed just a little. He never actually read a book, and he never actually had a course. But I said, Well, hey, Alan Stoyle Alan Stoy uh excuse me, I will install a Python uh compiler uh and environment on your computer if you want to try it. You might want to try it. And then I found this site, which I think I may have mentioned to you. This thing, the Euler Project, where they have oh, yeah, little yeah. little computer problems of increasing difficulty. Yeah, that's a great site. Yeah. And uh, and I mentioned it to him. And uh, and there are certainly math book, many mathematics books lying around the house, none of which he has ever read except maybe one. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So and then he started doing this, and he and he looked up things online to see. Well, what's the format? You know, what's the you know, how do you write things in Python? Because he'd never done it. I think I left a book out if you want to look at it, but he didn't look. He mostly looked up examples online. And they started doing it, and they started doing it more, and then he started doing it faster, and then he did 11 in one day. And they said, this is ridiculous. Uh, and he started doing more and more and more of it. And then the summer of his junior year, he said, yeah, you should probably do something mathy. I mean, you're always getting straight A's in math or anything. You want to go to a math camp? No. Said, well, you don't have to. I said, however, there is a physics professor at the local university that knows us, and he's taught three of our three of my kids so far. You want to like see if you can help him on, you know, you can see if you can help him on a project. Mm-hmm. And he ended up doing a lot of the software, including inventing a new algorithm that he's putting a first author article out on before the end of the year, now that he's a freshman in college. <laughs> now, how much effort do we probably put? I was perfectly willing to put effort, but he, he either didn't want to do it, or he was going to do it by himself. Not a yeah. whole lot of effort by me or anybody else. He didn't learn any of it in school. Mm-hmm. He just said, oh, yeah, I could do that. And again, the Internet opens up a lot of doors for those who want to go down them. Yeah. Some of them, including probably the door that Bluebeard told you not to open. Uh, yeah. But the point is, somebody who's interested, you could spin up to be a pretty decent programmer, even to the point of doing a few things that no one's ever done before in a year and a half from nothing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's with true, no
1: but... formal instruction of any kind. And I bet your boy could too, if he felt like it. And that might depend on what year, well, how old he was. Maybe now he feels like it. Maybe he won't feel like it when he's 16. Maybe he'll feel like yeah. it again when he's 20. I don't know. I mean, but, uh, but there have been cases where, you know, you have to think that having, you know, the best instructor in the world well, combined with the guy who had the greatest capacity in the world, didn't hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, evidently, Feynman had, like, you know, maybe the best calculus instructor in high school anybody's ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't hurt. I mean, he taught him things. You know, this is an interesting exception. He taught him certain techniques that very few other people know. Mm-hmm. So, for example, when Feynman was excelling in the uh, in math contest in, in the Putnam, yeah. uh, one thing he said, well, I often use this uh, uh, integration, you know, uh, uh, or differentiation underneath the, uh, the integration sign because not many people know how to do it. Most of the books don't teach it, but the book I read, they did teach it. And he said there were all sorts of things where people were using complex integrals and I found you didn't really need to. Uh, but I don't think that's his main secret of success, but in principle, it could be. I mean, there have been cases where a guy is just kicking ass at something. Maybe he's smarter, but he's figured out a different approach. It takes a while for other people to realize what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh uh Paul Murphy, who was a who was a American chess player, self taught but he had and also became world champion long ago. Mm-hmm. He had figured out some new principles and it took a while for other people to absorb them. And while he he was also a very good player, and for a while while well, he had he had better understandings of how important it was to control the center and certain things like that. Mm-hmm. For a while while he understood this and other people didn't, as well as him being a damn good player, he could not lose. Uh, but mostly people don't win that way. I mean, uh, what was another example? Have you ever heard of the Fosbury flop? No. There was a guy who was doing the high jump, and he came Mm -hmm. up with a completely different method of doing it. He jumped backwards, head first, backwards. Mm -hmm. And at least for some people, it's actually more effective. The only problem is you have to have a really good padding at the end or you'll break your neck. It's kind of a bad idea for teenagers to try this. Mm -hmm. but he won the Olympics by doing something here's another one you'll like this one somebody had some they were running some ultra long distance races in Mm -hmm. Australia Mm -hmm. and like 400 miles or maybe it was 400 kilometers anyhow hell a long way (coughs) and there was this uh, 62 year old sheep farmer who entered (coughs) he's probably not quite as athletically gifted and some of the other people there.
2: Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: But he won.
0: How did he win?
1: He had to sleep. Ah,
0: he had a mutation or something or some special I don't know. He up.
1: said, I used to do this every now and then. It'd be the time we had to shear the sheep. We were in a desperate hurry. I'd stay awake for three or four days while we got it done. And then I'd sleep for two days. Hmm. That's maybe he is more gifted in that odd direction, or maybe it was a funny experience. But the other thing is nobody else had ever been nuts enough to try to go for a week without sleep to win a race. <laughs> you know, so he just sort of shuffle along, not incredibly fast, but a lot faster than somebody who sleeps six, eight hours a day. Yeah. He beat everybody. You know. Also, he was old. I mean, by the way, he was a pretty tough guy. He was in pretty good shape for his age. He was just you know, a guy who worked hard on a poor farm. He beat right. everybody. Now, this is the thing that usually does not happen. Most people would win that because they were a tiny bit better uh natural athlete, possibly combined with better training. but he did it by doing something completely different complete Now, what if we found something like 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 what are the things that help people today? I said over the range of things we're talking about, it's mostly your genetics, you're a little better, you're a little faster to learn these things. Could there be something completely outside the box? maybe? I don't know. Uh, but nobody's looking for it. But what they do is they keep doing over and over the things we know for sure don't work, surrounded well, by rhetoric that's all false.
0: No, there is one community that's looking for it, and those are um, people who take smart drugs and are try different combinations of supplements.
1: Well, I'm sure they something. Things. Yeah. But, uh, and who knows? Maybe it's possible. But I don't think we have really hard evidence that anything has worked yet. I, I, at least I or At least I'm not aware of it. No, we don't.
0: Uh, we don't have we don't have evidence. I mean, overall, though people do report this this combination of stuff really helps them.
1: Have I told you my suggestion? I have about uh, about uh, breathing uh, oxyhelium. Oh yeah, no,
0: that's a great one. Why don't you um describe
1: that? Well, this is this is a case of logic, and it might not work, but it might work. But there's a little bit of evidence that it might work. It's this. Uh, it's pretty well known that as you dive deeper and you're breathing a normal air mixture, as the pressure gets bigger. Uh, the more nitrogen pressure you have, it starts to act as if it's kind of very roughly making you drunk or silly. Mm-hmm. It's called, used to, it used to, it's been called a uh, rapture of the deeps. It has several names, but divers have to worry about it. You start doing dumb things if you have too much partial pressure of nitrogen. Now, for people who go really deep, they, they use a different mix. They use helium and oxygen. Helium doesn't have this effect. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the effect is measurable. It's starting to be noticeable. You don't have to go real deep. There's a rough rule, like each extra 30 feet, which is about like an atmosphere of pressure. Yeah. Each extra 30 feet of water depth. They call it very roughly. It's like you had one more martini. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly the same as being drunk, but you can feel it. Eventually, I mean, I remember reading some of Cousteau's early books, and they get down to 200 feet. and They say, you know, I bet that that fish over there needs some air. Let me offer it my breathing thing. Mm-hmm. this is a sign you should get out of there <laughs> before you're dead. Uh, yes. It also helps if somebody else is there because they may not be quite as screwed up as you, and they mm-hmm. may help you get out. any rate, so the point is uh, like you, there are measurable effects sort of like having a drink if you're even 30 feet down, one extra atmosphere. And I ask myself, what is one atmosphere of nitrogen doing?
0: So we're, we all obviously have one atmosphere of nitrogen.
1: So we're all a little yeah. under sober. Nobody's really sober. So, uh, which of course Terry Pratchett used to talk about that. He even had a word for individuals who who were who were totally sober. Like in his idea, most people were about natural alcohol production. Put you about one drink below sober, right. and they had a character who didn't produce any. And so normally he saw things with incredible depressing clarity. And often he would try to fix it by drinking. He often overshot, which is why you'd find him unconscious on the floor. Anyhow, but there was a word for being one drink more sober than a normal person: connerd, drunk backwards. K N U R D. Okay. So we're Anyhow, all connerd. Yeah, we're probably no, we're, we no, but we could be. Aren't we all as normal? Which is like oh, having yes, one
2: drink. Yes, yeah.
1: So the idea is, if you put a guy on straight oxyhelium, would he be more sober than a normal human being, as opposed, you know, like taking a negative drink? Because and, we're under one atmosphere of 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 So
0: So we replace the uh nitrogen and what we breathe with helium. Yes.
1: At same and, pressure.
0: Uh, and pressure this is run- something divers actually do, right? They're mixtures. Yes,
1: but they do it for particular purposes, such as deep diving. Right. They aren't doing it as part of a cognitive experiment. So Although this it- would be a relatively easy test to sure. perform. Sure. You can just go down and buy buy a couple of tanks of oxyhelium. And then you can buy I mean people use them uh yeah. but it's not it's not dirt cheap but it's infinitely cheap compared to most of the things people try uh okay and there is evidence i mean at least there's an old report i re- i remembered it i was able to talk about it and if somebody else was able to dig around on the internet and find it people's reflexes under oxyhelium apparently were faster
0: so so maybe like this is how operations should be performed that surgeons you should replace all the nitrogen in the operating room
1: with helium Surgeons. Con- like- you should conquer. You should pressurize the White House, Congress, head yeah. the better hedge funds. No, no, there we should add
0: nitrogen. Congress, we want maybe we don't necessarily want to make them better, right? We, that's the hard one.
1: Well, that's a complicated question, but yes. for example, like let's suppose this it becomes known. We, you know, like the physics department will all be pressurized. Yeah, the sociology department will not <laughs> because there's no hope anymore. Uh uh and it, you'll be like when you. And the other thing is. If you talk to somebody in a pressurized building on the phone, they'll all sound like uh, Mickey Mouse because the speed of sound is about five or six times higher in helium than it is in oxygen, and so, this, and, and so everybody's voice sounds much higher.
0: Wait, we got to get a judge to order this for schools in underprivileged areas, that this is a possible also, every, way.
1: Really? Everybody would benefit from
0: it. No, no, but, but that, they, there's not a constitutional obligation give to everyone, but if you could show this will definitely improve test
1: scores. Then we order it. Yeah, that would be interesting. For, Only yeah, the, so the worst same. schools will be pressured. Oh, right, and right. No, but that in, could work. We can you'll get always right have in. the windows blowing out. To, and and wow. helium leaks really easily. It's a very s- small inert box. It's hard. You know, making a making a, an old school building helium tight would be truly challenging. We could
0: put it uh, under a dome or something,
1: right? That would probably be the way. I was thinking, I was imagining, you know, Renaissance, which is like considered the best of the hedge funds. Although, you know, we don't hear about hedge funds as much as we did. I think their profit margins have gone down a lot. Yeah. Uh, partly because if they did anything right, they again they could compete each other. Like I was saying a long time ago, you get to copy the thing that works.
0: I think they're uh, using AI, and they're gonna they're doing. Well, something no wonder they're not doing any uh, yeah. We don't uh,
1: really
0: they, know how they're doing
1: though. Well, we know their profit margins. They've dropped. Some, I mean, some of them haven't been beating the market the way they used to.
0: But maybe yeah.
1: maybe insider trading has become more difficult. There's a
0: lot going on that we probably don't see. It doesn't have to be privately, I mean, publicly traded companies that are doing it.
1: No, but a lot of them are. Uh, yeah. They haven't, they're not as spectacular as they were. But at any rate, the point is, if this works, you're going to tell important people because they'll have ridiculously high voices. And there's probably massive economies of scale,
0: right? Because if you, you triple yeah, I would the rather, area underneath
1: it. I, I would rather just put a dome over the, you know, put a dome over Caltech. Yeah. Uh, Again, I'm not sure it'd be worth the trouble with Harvard. Uh, but see, this is primarily if you're trying to get, you know, solve difficult puzzles, get the right answer to questions. I'm not sure. I don't know how. Of course, who knows? Maybe it makes you produce bullshit better and more rapidly. That could be important too. Uh, but, I wonder if you'd recover better from operations
0: if you you had a wing of a hospital, people undergoing the operations, would your would, it be, would so you have a higher it, survival rate?
1: If you're talking about people have trouble with anesthesia, you know we don't have much trouble anymore. oh no, no, I don't mean with anesthesia. I mean just you know you give someone an operation, there's a
0: chance they'll die as their body's trying to recover, but would you if you were breathing I have no
1: this, idea sure. but the thing, the thing this reminds me most of is are the effects of anesthesia, which you know mm. small amounts of anesthetics can also make you feel drunkish yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. in fact, years ago, not too many years ago, there was a problem. people were noticing that uh at, like, a reunion for medical school, that the anesthetists seemed to be acting strange. Mm, okay, and apparently, they're... the problem was they were exposed to low doses, but very often. Mm-hmm. And it was doing stuff to them. And you know, they have since changed, you know, they've really tightened up the requirements on uh, on keeping leakage from happening. And I don't think it happens anymore. But it was. Also, weren't a
0: huge number became drug addicts? They were using their own oh uh, and...
1: I think that's still a problem. I mean, uh, having all of these powerful painkillers available. Uh, is a temptation, and people in hospitals, nurses as well as physicians, have a higher rate of it. I mean, there may also be other reasons involving stress or something for certain kinds of physicians, but mostly it's just availability. And many a guy has has had his career damaged or ruined by becoming uh, or even killed himself accidentally, usually with an overdose. It's a a situational thing, I think. Uh, Yeah. uh, uh, but uh yeah, it's it's a common thing. Uh um uh, and uh another thing is you can often go a long way before you get stopped because doctors don't like to inform on each other. Uh I mean there's doctors that are terribly dangerous and nothing happens to them for years yeah. because you know doctors don't like to inform on well, each other. No one does. The same with police, right? I mean it's there are Physicians who have killed more people than any cop ever born. Uh, that, there was a case in really Mexico uh, that was of interest. They had, uh, at the university hospital, they had a woman who was running their childhood leukemia program. Some improvements were made in treating uh, that increased the survival rate from, let's say, 50% to 75 uh, and They involved giving more and harsher Chemotherapy. They said, "Look, it's a pain. It's difficult, but it has a better chance of long-term survival. Better, better chance of curing." Yeah. You know, some of the time you're getting the last cancer cell. And you have to. Uh, so, and, and all the national academies and so forth said it's been tested. This is now the way to go. It's now official. We have right. good numbers on it. You sh- and if you don't use it, you're being uh, uh, irresponsible.
2: Yeah.
1: She didn't like it, so she refused to use it. And this went on for almost twenty years. And the problem was most of the people treating were people who were poor and you know not super educated, not the sort of people who tries to spin up and know more about leukemia than mm-hmm. the doctor does because you know because they can and because it's their kid. These mm-hmm. people were concerned about their kids, but they weren't as educated, they weren't ready to uh, jump in on this sort of thing. And right. they didn't know yeah, right. that it wasn't being done in the best available way. I yeah. mean, they were losing that twenty five percent. Or I mean those were approximate numbers, but it was something like that, and they lost them for years, yeah like ten years or more and then fine, and the thing is when you had uh, when you had interns joining this program, they knew it was wrong because you know they could read, yeah, but and some of them were arguing with her, and it went on and on, and nothing changed, and finally some people turned her in, and then she resigned, and she gave up her medical license. And, and the uh, survivors sued the, the university for all the money in the universe.
2: Yeah. But
1: nobody wanted to turn her in. I mean, she wasn't stabbing, but she was deliberately picking a 50% rather than a 75% survival strategy. And that she was losing a quarter unnecessarily. And uh, uh, although, you know, I've been thinking about it. I said, you know, since we know that in the past medical doctors were not actually useful, but mm-hmm. they still did things. You know, it's probably true that the average guy with a big practice effectively mm-hmm. killed many more people than if he'd mm-hmm. never taken his hands out of his pot. I mean, things mm-hmm. like if you treated pneumonia by bleeding them, which yeah. was routine, it did something like triple the death rate. And and, and not from 1 to 3 percent, you know, from like, you know, from a big number to a much bigger number, 20 percent to 60.
0: Yeah, this is the value of you of having statistics, right, and keeping track of these things, not just oh, relying well, on it, intuition.
1: Uh, I mean, and it went on for thousands of yeah. years. Uh, yeah. I mean, like when somebody says, well, so and so in the Middle Ages was a physician, I said, well, then he was worthless. I mean, yeah. I would, you know, the average pickpocket, the mm-hmm. average guy who robbed people in the streets was a more positive force than the average doctor. It's it, you know, people don't seem to take the implications. What you do doesn't work, but you still do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing. Uh, uh. in fact I think you know if, maybe if you had a story it would be interesting if you had a story in which doctors knew they were doing it that <laughs> they were uh, the, you know who you the only people you compare them to oh uh, who oh you ever heard of the thugs in India yeah yeah. people who would mix in with a bunch of travelers and then strangle some of them yeah. and hide the bodies yeah only if probably some of them were comparable with doctors and how many people they killed <laughs> uh, it's uh You know, doctors as a secretive dark force, Mm -hmm. except I don't think they were. I think they just didn't know what they were doing. I have no reason to believe any of this was deliberate, but it'd make an interesting story if it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, back in educational policy is like, I have a very depressing and I think reasonable thought. Which is? You'd realize people really want the way that your parents did things to you to be important in forming your capabilities and your personality later. But all Mm -hmm. the evidence is that you know, at least within the normal range we see, it's not. Right. Uh, okay. You realize one of the reasons they think that? Because of genetics? That's... Yes. Yes. So, how optimistic should Paulman be that everybody will just drop everything they've said their whole lives and said, Hey, fuck, I was wrong. Yeah. Uh, or for that matter, new people running into it. Well... Uh, th-
0: there's the Brian Kaplan argument who wrote Selfish Reasons to Have More Kids, and he's like, look, you don't really have to pay that much attention to your kids. It's not – you don't have to be a helicopter parent. It doesn't hurt. So if you want to have four kids and just kind of take care of them a little bit, it's, you're not really hurting them. So maybe
1: those people I was convinced all of this is probably still in preschool. Well, I, I, I believe most of yeah. these things – and by the way, to some extent, leading up the scientific literature a long time ago. I mean, In other words, I don't disagree with him, but it's not news to me. And it wasn't news to the average person in 1950 either. Cause, you know, they let people, they let kids play on their own a great deal more. Knowledge has to be rediscovered, so. Apparently over and, well, here's another yeah. example. Like, I don't think, like I said, I don't think people have, are inherently, I think people who enjoy cruelty, they're probably just as many people as they ever did. Mm-hmm. And vice versa. Uh, I don't see any particular reason, that, partly because the time frame has not been long enough that you would suspect a lot of, I mean, like, nor have I any special reason to think that cruel people had a lot fewer children or anything right. I mean it's implausible there's been a lot of change since eighteen hundred since say George and England yeah uh, but uh but there's other things like that, like like you know young people find it not impossible to get excited about going off to a war, particularly before they've before they've experienced it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: a lot of them like it a lot, like even guys who managed to function usefully in the war they often come out and say, boy, I sure as hell don't ever want to do that again. Yeah. It's if you have a re- uh, Peter Turkin has talked about this. If you have a really severe war for a generation or two, people say, screw that. I don't want to do it. So You yeah. think of the presidents after the Civil War. It was a long time before anybody was really excited about starting a war just because it would be so much fun. Because yeah. they, almost all of them had been in it. Ulysses S. Grant by the way, he also had another advantage. People didn't. All the people didn't want to start a war with him.
0: Well, yeah, of course.
1: <laughs> because he knew how. But even other guys, Rutherford B. Hayes had been a general. Garfield was a. You know, all most of these guys have been through the Civil War. Yeah. As you get longer, they tend to be lower ranks because you know, you know, the most senior guys are aging out. But you know, for about forty years, most of the people in politics, or at least a lot of them, had been through the Civil War, and they weren't foolish about war. They, they didn't think of that as you know, any problem could be solved by war. Now, by the way, there are rare individuals who actually enjoy it. Those people are nuts. They do exist though. Hitler was in World War I and he enjoyed every moment yeah. of it. Because he was a nut. And by the way, another person who enjoyed it, who was kind of an asshole, but not a Hitler, was Haldane. Haldane was notorious in his in his uh unit because he liked blowing up Germans. He would take all kinds of risks, did them very intelligently. Mm-hmm. But he kept doing it, and uh, uh, his commander said he is the bravest and dirtiest officer in my army. <laughs> uh, he was always, you know, sneaking behind enemy lines and planning booby traps and things. He was <laughs> he was a dangerous guy. But that's a very very few people after World War I enjoyed it. But apparently, but that peace didn't last too well. It was only you know twenty years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but the Napoleonic War is a good example of where everybody for a long time said. Let's be careful. Let's not.
2: Right.
1: Now, this is the last thing we want. I mean, the Volanatic Wars went on for 20 years, basically, on and off, mostly on. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Turkin claims that other times in history, we had real serious stuff. I would say after World War II, there was also something like this. A lot of people said, well, you know, I sure don't want to do that. Yeah. Uh, and even people you think of as kind of ruthless. I would say the Russian leadership after World War II for 40 years, you know, they had all people they got a pretty old leadership by the eighties mm-hmm. but they said uh they still they didn't remember World War II as a whole lot of fun okay. and you know they may have had their ambitions, but they were cautious about uh big wars and uh for a long time, a lot of Americans had experience with that of that sort. Harry Truman had been in World War one uh he didn't like it uh Eisenhower knew a lot about it. Uh, Even, now, truthfully, after a while, you're getting people mostly, well, I mean, Kennedy, you know, he probably didn't enjoy it when his PT boat got rammed by a destroyer. Mm. Unlike any other PT boat in the history of man, (laughs) PT boats go 60 miles an hour. Uh, But, uh, uh, you know, I don't think he was trivial about it. Uh, Johnson had not really been very involved in a war. But, you know, I'm still, you know, some of it's also just listing everybody else you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nixon also, Nixon wasn't actually a combat. He was doing logistic stuff in the Navy, like, you know, half of people do. But I don't think he came away saying, yes, this is fun and exciting. I don't think, you know, he was scared of it. By the way, nuclear weapons may help you be scared of it. Mm-hmm. Gerald Ford was a veteran. Uh, I guess he was, uh, the last real veteran of World War II who was, uh, but, you know, you know for a good long time, you have a lot of people saying, let's not. You know, unless we don't have any choice at all. Uh, and uh, I can think of other things like that. We were about to invade uh, – uh, uh, some of this is more personal. We're about to invade Iraq. And Jacques Chirac, who was Prime Minister of France at the time, he'd been one of the guys drafted to, as a young man to fight in Algeria,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which meant he was sitting around, you know, torturing Algerians to try uh, to get them to stop being guerrillas and stuff. And he didn't enjoy it. And he talked to Bush. He said, Don't. <laughs> However, that was his experience, not Bush's. Bush didn't listen. And that's also the other lesson of history is by generation, by two and a half, it's yeah. not remembered. You know, like, to what extent do people read books and take the history seriously, you know, in their gut as a feeling of what can happen? The answer is they don't. They could, but they seldom do. Uh yeah. So, like, you know, like, during World War II, when lots of massacres were happening between the Germans and the Japanese and the Russians, there also people who say well, that could people couldn't be like this. This is, you know, people are better than that. And I said, well, Mongols weren't. Or I you mean, we'll start going through the list of other people who weren't. Uh, uh, well, that's
0: what when I mean, Churchill said Hitler was more like Genghis Khan than Kaiser Wilhelm, right? He famously said that. Right?
1: He was right. I actually i yeah. heard that quote, but it's true. And by the way, Kaiser Wilhelm was starting to edge in an unpleasant direction, but he hadn't gone very far. I mean, by that I said there were times which they had captured a whole lot of Russian troops uh, in the early days of the war, in the Battle of Tannenberg, in, mm-hmm. you know, when the Russians had invaded East Prussia, and they got beat by better organized but you know uh, outnumbered Germans. Mm-hmm. They had a lot of prisoners, and there was talk. Well, couldn't we just let them starve to death? No, they didn't do that. But high up people were talking about it, which is odd. Yeah. I mean, it should have been something that no – Nobody would do. It was against all the treaties and stuff, and people, and they weren't at the edge of starvation. But the Kaiser said, "Well, why don't we just let him starve?" Mm-hmm. I said, "Well," and everybody else said, "Well, no, because you're an asshole." <laughs> uh, and he said, "Okay," uh, but there were things like that that were going in a direction that was unhealthy. They didn't go real far in World War One, but mm-hmm. you know, even things like poison gas. Poison gas had been talked about in earlier wars. It was possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, people talked in the Crimean War about using poison gas. They figured there must be some way to do it. And here's two things that happened. They talked about it to the Duke of Wellington, who was, you know, the, the prime minister at that time, or yeah. part of that time. He said, two can play at that game. <laughs> Which is, he said, look, we'll just end up poisoning each other and it won't make Miss anybody win. It's just instead of losing a leg, you'll lose a leg and you'll be coughing for the rest of your life too. In other words, it won't change the winner right. or even the length. It'll just lead a lot of people miserable and he was right that's all it did in World War I I, I I've i met people in the 90s who were still suffering from you know very old guys mm-hmm. uh, who still their lungs were hurting still from gas exposure in 1918 oh. uh, but they asked somebody else they asked Michael Faraday you know mm-hmm. a supreme experimental physicist and guess what his answer was what I won't do it <laughs> Uh, uh, which is apparently not the typical reaction today. But, you know, in World War I, it was actually a chemist pushed it. Fritz Haber? Yeah. Fritz Haber had come up with the method of making artificial nitrates, which were essential for Germany because they could no longer import them, and they needed them for fertilizer and explosives. So he's a big guy. You know, he's mm-hmm. the guy who let the war keep going. Uh, He's important to Germany. So he has influence. And He said, what I think we should do is make poison gas. Maybe we could win the war with it. But, uh, but, you know, the only way you do that is if you use a lot of it and it's a surprise, it's decisive. Nobody's yeah. ready for it. But, you know, nobody ever does. Well, we'll try a little. Then we'll try a little. And after a while, even when we try it, you know, like you'd say we have 100,000 truths behind it, ready to take advantage of it when it works. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to cash in. But people right. don't usually do that. And they didn't in this case. They said, yeah, it caused sort of a dent in the front for a couple of hours and it hurt a bunch of people, and other people came up with, you know, short-term ways to protect themselves, like a wet cloth that worked a little bit. And then they later had gas masks everywhere, and and, and you're just poisoning each other, but it's not winning the war. Uh, so, you know, the sort of things that you do in a game, people seldom do it. You know, like you said, I can, you know, I can make, this could be the move that makes me win. Mm-hmm. Even such things can exist, but people seldom do them because they're they're not that decisive. Like for example, early in World War One, you want the best thing to do for the German battle fleet to do what? Just go out and fight. The odds were against you, but not overwhelmingly. The Germans had better guns. They had fewer Mm. ships, but they had better guns, better Mm -hmm. signals, better aiming. Mm -hmm. The point is, so what if there's only a forty percent chance of winning? Well, what's the chance? If you have a superior foe and you just let it be lots and lots of little tiny battles that you lose most of, yeah, you want yeah, to compress it into a single battle instead of many battles you have a 40% chance of winning, you want one battle you have a 40% chance of winning. Cuz that wins the war. Right. I mean if they knocked out uh the uh German, you know, the British fleet, they would have won the war. Mm-hmm. The British blockade would have evaporated. And then the Germans could have, you know, they have big advantages. So, But they never did it. They had a couple of battles, but they, you know, and and obviously you want to set it up so you maximize your chances as much as you can. But sometimes the right thing to do is go in, even though you will probably lose, because if you don't fight, you'll certainly lose. Uh, Of course, some of that's hindsight. Uh, But uh, but anyhow, back to Pullman. How would we rearrange everything in the world if we took him seriously?
0: Yes, Uh, other than eugenics, which is probably
1: not going to happen. Oh sure it is, it, but on a voluntary level, it already does. Well, yes. This, this it, way, could you imagine the dating sites would start putting in uh, polygenic risk scores on various things? I bet you they do. Not yet, but I mean, which, like, like let's suppose there was you run into somebody, and you know you're in college, and by the way, you don't know her background the way you would have most times in the past.
0: Right. Well, this For is Gattaca again, where they had that. That's
1: well, a Wouldn't them. you rather know? that she was probably on the on the very ha- hairy edge of of being a nut, even though you hadn't seen it yet. Wouldn't you rather know before you got involved with her? Yes. I'll tell you, there's a lot of people who did get into this situation and they aren't very happy at the end of it. Or uh, you might know, uh, I mean, some of us just insulated yourself, said, you know, she's wonderful and she's going to drop dead probably by she's 29 or something. Now, that's going to be a very unusual outcome, mm-hmm. but it could be true, right? Uh, uh, Or what if you said, uh, you know, like, you know, about, you know, like, I don't know how true it is, but it's certainly said that women said, well, you know, he's okay except for this and I I can, I can fix that. Oh yeah. If it's genetic, you can't. Well, most things are. And the things things that you would do to fix somebody other than hitting them with a, with a steam iron uh, don't seem to have much effect. So what if you said, or what if you somehow convince young women, you're probably not going to be able to change him that much?
2: Yeah.
1: Now time might. Or you know, maybe his developmental path is such that he'll calm down when he's 35. People do mm. some, right? They're not as hot-headed as when they're a teenager. Yeah. Uh uh, but the idea that you can make a lot of difference, probably not. I mean, you can't change him. You can't make him smarter, you can't make him dumber, you can't make you, you might be able to help hide the liquor from him, but you can't mm-hmm. make it unattractive to him. You might be able to help him work at being a non-drinker, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Maybe both of you will move up to somewhere where there isn't any. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but, uh, there's lots of things that, no, I don't know how seriously, like, this is a, th- it's a, it's a, it's a truism. People say women sometimes aim at changing the guy. I don't know how true that is. But if it, but they are thinking it, they're mostly wrong. Or, people who said, I know I can make my kid able to do X, no matter what X is, Uh, they're probably mostly wrong. In in many cases, you'll save a lot of grief, sometimes more than grief, if you don't try to do the uh, Now, by the way, there's always going to be gray areas. Like you could say, well, you might be able to make it in professional baseball. You're pretty good, but are you that good? And, you know, who knows, maybe the only thing to do is try,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: or either that or say, "I, I don't care that much. I'm only willing to invest this much effort if I think it's a sure thing, but uh, uh I mean I think like companies would hire different like you know there's all sorts of things we do we know don't work, and if, as far as we can tell, there are many demands that we switch even more to things that don't work. you know, like you know colleges are going to continue to do interviews at least some of the time, the ones are, and, and they're go- but they're dropping GREs, GREs work better. People don't want things that work better because they don't like the answers. Yes. In in many cases, but they are better. Uh, uh, if you were hiring, you know, like, uh, I remember Kaplan saying, well, you wouldn't want to have somebody, like, you wouldn't want to hire somebody who puts his SAT on his resume because people don't put the SAT of the resume. Now, would it be useful information? The answer is, yeah, moderately so, yes. But, but it might mark him as a nonconformist. Right. I mean, for all I know, if he pointed out, that he'd saved North America by putting his finger in the dike. That would prove he was a nonconformist. You don't want to hire that sort of guy. There's no telling what he'll do next. Uh, I mean, getting the Congressional Medal of Honor marks you as a nonconformist. but For all I know, the average one is less good. Right. Uh, at—you know Maybe he does what he thinks needs to be done and doesn't obey orders. Uh, uh, I have heard of guys uh, who, in World War II, for example... Did extremely daring things. Like mm-hmm. some of the guys who were in the SAS. Mm-hmm. And some of those, and by the way, this is true of the SAS today, some of those guys don't adjust terribly well to civilian life. Mm-hmm. Like they might say, well, where can I get a similar thrill? I said, I'm going to have to be a professional bank robber. because yeah. nothing else. Or I read about some guys who were in the SAS. And they were trekking the train home from somewhere, and one of them got killed. They said, why? We were bored, so we started crawling out the window of on one side of the train and crawling over the roof and back in again because we didn't have anything else to do for a few minutes. <laughs> they were people who loved excitement. But it's actually a bad idea to crawl around on the roof of a train while it's moving yeah, at high speed. Even worse if you happen to run into an electrical line dangling down above it or something. I think that's how the guy got killed, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, yeah, sometimes this happens. Uh, uh, there have been guys who were fantastic soldiers that had a tendency to get arrested for for violence in civilian life because that because they were violent. Uh, but but yeah, every job this could be useful in. Yeah, now not that, always fantastically, but often at least moderately.
0: Yeah, um, you could you could have a computer algorithm that could. Give you a little career advice. You could also find out what jobs you'd be better at and what you'd be happier at doing.
1: We could have an app that uh, okay. you could put yeah. it, you could type in a few numbers, and we could come up with a genetic estimate of the, uh, of the, uh, of this risk score, the polygenic risk score, uh, for, you know, like the girl you're thinking of, you know, how smart are your and her kids likely to be? Yeah. Well, I think it would
0: also really help for the practicality. Of education. I mean, if you could find, you're you're really suited to be a doctor, and you take a lot of biology. You don't worry about physics, or you know. Well,
1: the other thing, the problem is, much of this will be unacceptable truths. That there will be. It'll
0: also be useful, though. I mean, parents that take advantage of this will
1: be able to give their kids an advantage. Organizations that take advantage, like like here's something. What if I made a polygenic risk score for being an efficient uh, soldier? Which involves a number of things, but still, you could add it up, right? There right. could be a, there could basically be apologetic risk score for anything. So this is something saying, these guys, you know, they're physically in pretty good shape, they're smart enough, they have some initiative, they cooperate well, they're brave. Right. And I said, you could pick an elite group, not just based on experience. Experience is expensive. I mean, you maybe already have to have a war to do that, right? right. Uh, but what it means is you could take a bunch of Italians, and then you pick all the guys who are at least one and a half uh, standard deviations above average in constructing your infantry unit. Mm-hmm. And you can swear at the end that they were Germans. <laughs> okay. By the way, that's not a joke. You can do it. Uh, and you know in advance. Uh, at least, you know, you want to test all these things. But, yeah, you could do it. Uh, mm-hmm. There's all sorts of things you could do. I mean – It would also – I
0: mean, it would save a lot of stress. Like, in, in China, apparently, you take one test at basically the end of high school that determines your destiny. It would be so much less stressful if. Well, this thing you could be people, more accurate. Yeah, it be more accurate, accurate, and you could have much better childhoods. Tests.
1: You use a combination of whatever test you're already using and this. You get better answers if you use all the information that's available. Uh, for example, there are things this test doesn't show, which is the number of private bad mutations you have. Like, what if you happen to have a lot. You know, you're. The, the ones they're measuring, the common variants, you look good, but you might have some you know, rare bad stuff. In a better world, we would know that. Or, mm. what if you didn't look spectacular, but you had almost no rare bad stuff? You might actually be very good. And, look, these tests are not perfect. There are several ways you're going to prove them. When you do practical tests, like, uh, can we give you the job and see if you can do it? That mm. counts. It has some validity. Uh, the point is you can build your ability if you use several tools. This one has certain advantages because you could use it like on very early mm. uh, it uh you could uh uh I mean some of these like you know having to do the job for six weeks is expensive compared to a genetic test right uh yeah, or you know taking him as an intern for six months or something uh like I remember an interesting story of an intern that in a sense didn't work out. This guy was a lawyer and he was an intern. For a guy named Jim Garrison, who was had a conspiracy theory that a bunch of lots of uh, of uh, oh what's the town uh, uh, New Orleans, the main town mm-hmm. that uh, that a bunch of homosexual guys in New Orleans had plotted to kill Kennedy.
2: Uh-huh.
1: No, I never have understood how this was supposed to work, but that was the theory that Jim Garrison was working on. One of the witnesses. Had a, you were supposed to actually exchange information with the defense on many things, mm-hmm. legally required to. There was one piece of information they had refrained from giving the defense.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That was one of the witnesses that was, you know, favoring this case was insane. Well, that's there was a simple insane. way to detect his insanity. You would ask him, "Do you fingerprint your children every morning and night?" He said, <laughs> "Well, yeah, sure, to make sure the government hasn't substituted somebody who looks just like him." Uh-huh. And if you ask him, he'd say, Well, sure, does everybody? But they had not released that little piece of information about this key witness. But they, this mm-hmm. guy, who was an intern, was going to be gone in a week. Yeah. And said, Jim Garrison, look, this whole thing is insane. I'm going to tell the defense. I'm going to tell Clay Shaw's defense. Like, so when they, they're checking out the witnesses before the trial, Clay Shaw's lawyer says, So, do you fingerprint your children every morning? <laughs> And the, and the prosecution says, well, okay, we just lost that witness. And the guy says, yes, of course, doesn't everybody? Do? Uh, and, and you can call that from the, uh, prosecution, from the state's attorney's point of view, that intern was a mistake. He was not a conformist <laughs> and truly loyal to his that's boss true. because he wasn't a demented asshole the way his boss was. Uh, you can't that's, trust those interns. That's uh, but, We should uh,
0: probably, oh, sorry, this is, I think we're approaching like about over three hours. We okay. should probably wrap it up. Sure. So are there other, um like, concluding? Have we covered everything that you've wanted to cover?
1: What I think is interesting, which would deserve basically thinking about it pretty hard, is all the implications if we based our policies on the way things actually work rather than the way that we wish they did. Yes. Well, that's true in a lot of life, probably. Yeah, but it's probably more true here than most things. Our entire real estate market, much of it is shaped, not all, but much of it is shaped by – Wanting to have your kids at a good school. And a good school is made because the neighborhood is expensive and only people of higher social class can afford to be there. It isn't anything to do with the school itself. What are these people paying for as a group? Nothing. Yeah. This is a major part of the whole American economy. We're buying something that you can't buy. But we're paying for it anyhow. It isn't just in that. How many companies are hiring people's significantly suboptimally because like there are things that you could use that people used to use. Like you could use information on how the guy's relatives did in hiring, but that no one ever does. Right. Except on a very informal level. Right. Like for example, if, if that geometry teacher of mine had wanted me to, Oh, I don't know, help him with his books or something, he would have said, yeah, he might be able to do it. You yeah. know, his mom was pretty smart, but you know, that's about as far as it goes. No, does, uh, Does any big like does Google do this? No. Well, Google's behind the times, as is everybody else. I think
0: yeah. I think once we start getting better um, results from these polygenic risk scores and they start having more real world correlates, people, some companies will at least outside of the United States.
1: Most of the companies that you'll have new companies that try it. The old companies will refuse to change, and some of the companies that try it will be more enough more successful that it will eventually spread. But everybody Mm -hmm. will. Fight it every step of the way. And they might even succeed because it will not have the right diversity implications. Well, we don't know that. It
0: could, you know, it, It's like that thing about um, it, getting kids in gifted classes. If you have actual tests, you sometimes get more minority students because the teachers have prior beliefs.
1: But that actual. story, I, I read the details of it. It's a lie.
0: Ah, well, then that's probably not a good example.
1: You know what the secret was? They had different thresholds for different groups. Oh, all right. Well, that was a nice Big story. Big differences in the thresholds between the different groups. So if you said anybody in this group who scores above 110 is gifted, and group A, and everybody who scores above 130 is gifted, and, and, that's what they did.
0: All right. Well, that's uh, a good example then.
1: Yes. I, mean, I saw a couple of people quoted it on Twitter, and I mentioned, I said, there's only one problem. It's not true. But it can be true. It has been true in the past. If you're talking within a given ethnic group, for example, there were like people, a lot of people over, you know, the exaggerated the real transit says, well, you know, all the smart kids are going to have, let's say, fathers who are physicians or something. Right. The answer is a disproportionate amount, but probably not the majority because there's so many other people who aren't physicians. And you could overshoot and say, well, you know, we're not going to get anything from these guys who are just ordinary farmers, but in fact, you do. Well, you might. So- You might
0: observe that people who don't go to college, there are very smart people who aren't now going to college and who could be useful for some, you know, high paying jobs.
1: Who knows? I might even be willing to hire Bill Gates to do something and he didn't finish college. Uh, uh, but yes, uh, that's possible. Uh, but, but the point is, uh, what they did was they reached farther outside of the talent pool that would come out of things like prep schools. Uh, they're saying, Hey, there's a bunch of smart kids even in the, you know, the regular high schools, not just the prep schools. They may be a bit more concentrated in the prep schools, which they are. Uh, but uh, uh, And they said, well, there's – and also there were guys just out of the middle of the sticks that weren't close to a university or something, and there still are, but there are other more important things going on. Like I would guess at this point that although – I was going to say although almost nobody's talking about it, but I decided it's because – Almost nobody is talking about it. I suspect one very important thing that's involved in college admissions is if they get any senses to your ideology, that they'll, they'll sink you like a rock if you're like anywhere in the bottom 75, the, the, the rightmost 75%. Yeah,
0: I'm a bit afraid
1: of that, but that, that could be true. I just read an example of somebody, a pretty bright guy who has been interested in things like Plowman's work. Uh, and he said, I got rejected from here and here, and he's talking about grad school, but I think oh. it's the same. I rejected it, and then no one said why. My scores were top, and I said, yeah, yeah I, I, right now I think, like, you know, Ron Unz was talking about, well, various reasons people discriminate. discriminating. He says, I would be most interested in the actual reasons people are discriminating, <laughs> which would involve some of it would be hard to do because you would need to know who's applying, which you yeah. generally don't, but in principle – you know, if, if for some reason you got all their records, you would know. Yeah. Uh And, like, suppose somebody said, uh, "I my politics are pretty close to Robert Taft. All right, and he applies to Harvard. I don't think he'll get in. All right, what if I said, my politics are pretty close to Harry Truman? I don't think he'll get in. If he says, my politics are pretty close to Dwight Eisenhower, I don't think uh. he'll get in. If he says, my politics are pretty close to John F. Kennedy, I don't think he'll get in. Now, we're up to Lyndon Johnson. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. But I don't know. I mean, I bet you Lyndon Johnson thought there were only two sexes. <laughs> um, so, right. I mean, I, I suspect it's a big factor. But mm. I don't know how big because I haven't seen anybody try to measure it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, and there are things that people talk about as a plus. Mm. I said, but in real life, they're actually a mild negative. Again, we're thinking of genetic correlations. Mm-hmm. Uh they said, "Well, we're not allowed to pick an X. We'll pick a thing correlated, like, ex, like having a felony record or something." Uh, there was a girl who I think she ended up going to. What was it, Columbia? Mm-hmm. She had a little problem in her husband, in her in her past. She killed her mother. Uh, you know, her mother didn't approve of who she was dating when she was 14. So she and her boyfriend killed her. Uh. But you know, she wasn't in prison for very long because she was only 14 years old. Often yeah. give you a, and then, and she had pretty good grades, and she said, well, you know, it's not like this is any reflection on your moral character. And I said, <laughs> you know, call me, call me eccentric, but it strikes me. And by the way, we're not talking about bumping into her when you were six years old until she falls down the stairs or something. Right, No, right. They, they murdered her. And there were people who said, well, you know, we wouldn't want to sack a we prejudice against her just because she killed her mother. I said, but you should be. All right, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm- and on that note, <laughs> okay. But Coleman would say the worst thing is, uh, you know, she'll probably kill her next mother, too. Uh, her child will kill her, so. Uh, or be more likely. Well, more likely than average, sure. Uh, the uh, But if you the really interesting thing about this is that there are very many things we would do differently if we really believe these results. And they're solid. Yes. But we should talk
0: also just about the book, the readability and all that, for people interested in buying it. It
1: is it's very readable, it's very straightforward. I think it's aimed at sort of the average guy. It yeah. it doesn't go into technical detail. I mean, there are yeah. references in the back. If you're interested, you can dig into the papers. Yeah. I think it's good that they have that. The 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 efficiency, I would say, and again, this is for the technically interested, he doesn't think as much as he should about some of these problems in terms of evolutionary biology. And uh uh but in terms of most of it. And of course, he also avoids a couple of controversial subjects. But yeah, that, that's his choice.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's not politically incorrect, but he he gets that way without
1: lying. So well, it it is politically incorrect, but he is he's he's mild and friendly in the way he says it.
0: it. The next level, it's it, it, yeah. I mean, it's it's only if you take it to the next obvious level. But unless you take the straight book,
1: well, I, I said some of the class stuff is probably extremely politically correct in England. I yeah. think. In this and it is in some circles in the United States, but I think I think less so uh, but uh it's uh but compared
0: to your blog, it's quite mild well
1: yeah that. i mean but uh, but in many cases I'm saying almost exactly the same thing uh, different with a different emphasis it it <laughs> depends on the topic sometimes I'm yeah. saying it in exactly the same way in terms of the effects of schools, I would say yeah. what i'm saying is not very different uh, that mostly. In terms of, like, they can teach you a factual piece of knowledge. And I said, I think what really masks the importance of factual piece of knowledge is usually they're widely shared, so they don't make a difference. Even if everybody now knows how to calculate a thing by a new clever method, I mean, that's good, but it isn't usually kept restricted to a small group. Yes. And, And that's the key. It's not that what they teach you is useless. It's just, what do they teach you that they don't teach other people? there isn't mm-hmm. much useful in that and if it is it doesn't last it doesn't stay mm-hmm. restricted terribly long uh, you know like at one time nobody knew how to do certain calculations now everybody mm-hmm. does uh, mm-hmm. and uh, but you know, going to school doesn't cause you differences in knowing that it's it's everywhere mm-hmm. so that's the general and in a sense that's always been a problem but you know intelligence gives more scope. You know language gives more scope to intelligence, but it gives less advantage to individuals with more intelligence because people copy the things you do you like know you invent something they copy it
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, so uh but I think it's it's set at a readable level for the mm-hmm. for a lot of people uh it's uh i I think it's sound. I mean, I I know a lot about the papers. I haven't read all of them, but I read many of them. I know some of the people involved, not most, but some. As far as I know, this is all pretty solid. And for that matter, it actually accords with general experience. It isn't really true that everybody had always seen that identical twins are wildly different. They've always seemed similar. and You know, families always seem more similar than, you know, random people you pulled off the street. Um, Now, it may not have been as obvious what made that similarity. Um, And and actually, one of the things about this is there are natural – like adoption is much more common – well, in the period he was looking at it, was much more common than it was in 1800 and more common than it is now. Mm -hmm. In a sense, it was a natural experiment with a limited uh, time expiration on it. Uh, In most of the past, adoption was rare. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they don't talk about it. It was illegal. There was no law that allowed adoption in places like England and the United States, most of Europe. It, oh, didn't, it didn't happen much. I mean, like, adoption became legal in England in, like, 1925. It's a late, mm-hmm. it's kind of an American invention. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it became less common with a lot more birth control and a lot more abortion. There were fewer kids, and the kids that were available tended to be, you know, ones that had a lot of problems, mm-hmm. uh, partly because their parents had problems, again, or from far away. Uh, in, in terms of adoption of people who were pretty much like everybody else in the sample that is okay. th- does not happen as much as it used to so it'd be harder to do the same studies today mm-hmm. uh, you know on a current generation as okay. as he did uh but adoption told you a lot uh uh identical twins are probably about as common as they ever were they're, they're very common. they're not less common now okay. uh but they're rare uh particularly the separated identical twins is probably rare because people don't like to break up uh, siblings as much as they did, and in mm-hmm. particular, twins. People don't want to break them up the way they, they did it, kind of. For, you know, they'd say, Look, we don't have anybody who could adopt two, so we'll adopt one to each. You know, they right. were being practical, but they didn't value the twins being together. Today, they sort of do. Uh, so, uh, but right. um, yeah, the, the thing is all solid, and uh, nobody will change their minds. <laughs> and most importantly, you know, all the many social things which assume that these things are strong, strongly modified by your environment, mm. things that are not strong. They will continue to assume it and they will keep talking about it and they will never change their mind for mm. at least some time to come. Either. Well, some, some people might. Um. Yeah, for all I know, other people change their mind in the opposite direction. If, I mm. think, a, in fact, I look forward to seeing genetic risk score for environmentalism.
0: Yeah, well, that's probably, that's probably uh, now there.
1: I claim that, you know, if it turned out that you know doing a funny thing with toilet training made you all weird, I, I could learn to accept it. I said, well, you know, like I've accepted iodine; it doesn't bother me at all. Uh, okay, but uh I think that a lot of people do. I mean, they like—they don't like the idea that, that you know they're a puppet. This, like, he talks about that. You know, he said it's not really as if the genes are controlling your strings and you're a puppet. And I says, well, actually, to a significant extent, it is like that. Yeah. No, I agree. With. People don't want to hear it. And they are wired to not want to hear it, and so on. It's hard to convince people that there are a lot of things that are kind of emotionally neutral. You might convince them, and it doesn't bother them. This bothers people, and you're always going to have trouble with it. Yeah. Uh, people don't want to believe it. Uh, now, right. by the way, something like genetic risk scores may make more people believe it because you could you could say – you could say, well, we took this when he was six, and it said he would be the tallest kid in North America, even though he wasn't there, and now he is. You have a bunch of that happen, people say, shit, I guess there's something to it. You know, if you have a lot of real life, everyday, successful prediction, mm-hmm. although since most of this will be partial prediction, imperfect prediction, I don't know how convincing that will be to people, but you know, on average, it is, it's more or less mm-hmm. true. Or if you say, this kid is going to, you know, He's going to be an axe murderer. Uh, you know, see, that'll be different. Like, they'll arrest some guy for a serial killer. You know, you know what the neighbors always say? Well, he's always quiet. Kept to himself a lot. Although, you know, when we checked it, his risk score always said he was likely to be an axe murderer. <laughs> that might be a story we'll hear in 20 years.
2: Uh, that
1: That's
0: true. Okay, anyway, well,
1: no. yes. Yes, well, I, I enjoyed talking about uh, the book
0: Blueprint with you, and uh, thank you. It's actually a pretty decent book. I would recommend people yes, read it. Definitely. Okay. Okay. Take care. You too. Bye bye. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening to The Future Strategist. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing to my Facebook group, which is called Future Strategist, or following me on Twitter at uh, Jim D. Miller, or up. And please uh, consider giving me a high ranking wherever you listen
2: to podcasts. Thank you very much. Goodbye.